you want us to wait for you to finish eating your things before we <laughs> no, actually start? No, no, no. He, no. he specifically requested that we do not wait for him. I, to... I won't be noisy with that. I promise. This, this is literally. He has specifically requested that we do not we we do not wait for him to finish eating, so that he can prove to me that he can eat quietly. Quote. Like a good boy. <laughs> I didn't say it well. Anyway, I did, however, choose the softest food available. <laughs> so I have chip shop chips. What about rice pudding? Uh, oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't want rice pudding for dinner. <laughs> yeah, for dinner. I didn't yeah. want it. <laughs> from, from fish and chip shop. I didn't want it at all. Like, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, especially from a fish and chip shop. What yeah. the fuck? That'd be weird. I mean, it'd be pretty nice. I like rice pudding. I don't know. You, you don't know? No, I mean, I don't. I don't understand it. It's um, what's, what's not to understand? It's, well, it's pretty just, fucking... no, no, it's not that nice. It does it's what all, it says on the tin. Grainy and horrible rice. Yeah, exactly. There is so much being recorded here that I don't want to lose. Do you, do you not like rice? <laughs> I do. What do you not like pudding? But uh, yes, but not with <laughs> it. So pudding specifically made of rice. Why not? In because fairness, rice... I like rice and don't like rice pudding. So I am. I'm with Rob on this one. Okay, fair enough. Do you like spotted dick? I don't know, I've never had spotted dick. That surprises me. Except, except for that one weekend, but we won't go into that. Do you like dick? Do you like pudding? Why do you not like them combined? Well, I don't, I've never <laughs> tried them combined. I love both those things, but I've never tried, you know, both at the same time. You really should. <laughs> I love this. Wow. We, we have actually progressed from the talk of spotted dick into actual, you know, fellatio and pudding. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I'm okay with this. Mm. It was just, just a really good chip, or were you just... Mm. <laughs> but I was proving that you didn't hear the chip, and you only heard me. <laughs> God fucking damn it. <laughs> oh, God. Shall we start a show, then? Let's begin. Let's begin. And welcome to World One Stage One. Not joining me is Irish. But joining me as ever are Jack Hooray! and Rob. Sup? And as he's not here, we do have listener mail. Well, host mail. Do we? Yes, from Jack. Irish. Jack. <laughs> oh, God. So hang on, wait. And you found it? Yes, I found it. Marvelous. What does it say? What's marvelous is it's written assuming that we were going to record this episode when we were originally going to record it. So some of the things he says in this mail no longer apply. Read them anyway. Oh, really? Hello, gentlemen. As I am unavailable due to being away, whining and dining my lady for her birthday. That's wrong. Yeah. Wait. So He's a liar! You know what? Wait. When we get to the end of this letter, you need to let me know, like, so that I can segue us. Keep going. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It left me Got to one. ponder the topic of hard sci-fi tropes, and I ask you this question. If you could live in any of your favourite TV show, movie, video game, or book universes, where would you choose and why? The universe I would choose, unsurprisingly, if you know me, would be Pokemon, because I love the franchise that much, and the idea of travelling, battling, and caring for those fucking weird and amazing monsters has always appealed to me. 
So much so that I know what type of trainer I would be, as it's the type I play as in the games. Namely, a breeder. Get your snickering done now. I am looking <laughs> forward to your responses. Have a great evening, Irish. We're Aww. done. Segway. Well, no, we need to answer his question. <laughs> we do. First. Right. And my first response is, Beedrill is eight foot tall. Oh, yeah. It's like five foot. It's a fucking enormous bee. I don't want to live in that world. (laughs) That is admittedly, yes, five foot too big for a bee. It would be terrifying. Yeah, as Zoe points out, it's not even a bee. It's a wasp that calls itself a bee. It's lying. It's lying and enormous. That is not a lie. And it has a drill, yes. I don't want to live in that universe. Also, as a breeder... As a breeder, you'd just be doing your job in the realization that, you know, eventually uh, you, the, po- the, bre- the Pokemon breeders give Pokemon to other people, right? To fight them, yeah? Are the breeded Pokemon meant to be fought? I, I don't know. You're the Pokemon? Okay, well, I'm well, guessing. Well, I guess they can be raised for any number well, of Well, anyway, things. you've got to like live a, in this well, world. Well, well, much like any other animal, you could breed it for any number of tasks. I suppose. If you were giving it to an American football player, you would have to assume that they were going to make them battle. But you know, Okay, fair enough. But then that is kind of like a big part of that world. And you'd be knowing that you were sending these animals into these vicious fights where they beat on each other until they're rendered unconscious. Yeah. And then they run away. Surprisingly, I don't think Irish has a problem with that. That's weird. It's yeah. also quite normal in that universe. Yeah, it also, is. Irish doesn't breed no losers. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Rob, what, what fictional universe would you live in? I'll tell you which one I wouldn't live in. What wouldn't you? What, 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 what fictional universe would you not live in? I would not live in the Harry Potter universe. Why? Because well, I mean, technically about speaking, this. we already do. No, but I mean, like, no, we don't. We're just, we're just, you know, muggles with no knowledge of anything. But then, no, because then I could go to the station, and it would very cleverly hit. It would me. work because I'm magic. No, no we're not. <laughs> oh shit! Look at us. No, my reasoning behind it is that if it if we did, right? Yeah. yeah. Um what would there be to do? Magic. Yeah, but you know, like you've not you've only got like a, a few places that you can visit. You can only go to Diagon Alley or Hogsmeade or, or the rest of the, the world. Indeed, the rest of the world, yes. There's nothing in the rest of the world in Harry Potter. There's two schools. No, no, no. there's right, the there's at world. least three because the tournament is called the fucking Tri Wizard Tournament, and there's three no, 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 schools no, 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 other than Hogwarts. Sorry, they just try really hard. But there's the rest of the world. I'm not talking about the Wizarding world. I'm talking about the real world, where you then just go zap zap and rule it like a motherfucking god. And, and also, they they do refer to magical communities outside of those two schools as well. But I mean, I've I've always had reasons for not wanting to be in that universe too. And that is that if you actually look at the date, I would have been in the same school year as Harry Potter and that would have fucking oh, yeah. sucked. Yeah, yeah, man. That Oh, good Lord. Were yes. you in the same year as Harry Potter? Yes. Are you Harry Potter? No, you're going to have a shit time, son. Because yeah. it was written in the past, wasn't it? It yeah. was written... 90, it was set Nin- in the early 90s. Early 90s, yeah. 91 through 97, uh, yeah, because he was born in the same year as me. So, And Rowan. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we would have been in the same school year as Harry Potter, which would have been absolutely balls. Yeah, yeah. And I would choose, though, I'm not going to go on a rant because it will take too long, but uh, I would probably choose... Star Wars? Mm, but then I might die. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, true that's in any universe, Go on, why not? Star Wars. <laughs> I'd pick Star Wars. You might die in any. any. You might die in this universe. Either Star Wars or Doctor Who. Well, the trouble with Doctor Who is there's like the Doctor, 
and a companion or maybe two at a time and everyone else is just getting attacked by Daleks and Cybermen and that would suck. But there'd be a chance, Simon. That fly really likes you. Yeah, Jack, you're probably wondering what that big clap was. That was Jack. Oh my God, you hammer slammed him. There you go. I punched a fly you out of the air. It's twitching on the floor. Give it time. Do the right thing. Let it live. All right, I will. I'm not a killer. I wasn't saying kill it. All right, good. All right, killer. What universe would you live in? Uh, I've got a bit of Pokemon's a good one. Um, but I would... I think I would be drawn between either Gaia from Final Fantasy IX just because I fucking love that world and all the places in it. That'd be weird to walk around. It, it would be, because you'd be huge and all the cities would be really small until mm. you go into the city and then you shrink and then, it's, you know, world maps, man. Uh, or I've got to admit, you know, it, Star Trek, just to be there, to oh, be, wow. to be, you know, with when the Federation's at its, at its peak and everything like that, yes. Would you not be scared of, like, wait, which, I'd have a which version? Which I version, sorry? Uh, I would say probably... I'd say TNG era. Mm. Wouldn't you be worried about the Borg? Yeah, but I'd have a replicator so I could, you know, make things and not be worried about it for much longer. Cool, man. How about you, Simon? Uh, for me, it would probably either be The Culture from Ian M. Banks' series of books, The Culture series, uh, or The Diamond Age, as written by Neil Stevenson. Uh Largely because in both it's completely post-scarcity society, so you just want for nothing. It would have to be the culture, really, because then you also add in um, a society that has completely moved beyond any concepts of defined uh, gender, race, uh, complete non-scarcity, absolutely alive and sentient AIs, and interstellar travel. Uh, that sounds pretty good to me, and it's that sounds pretty sweet. Fairly peaceful because the culture is such a dominant society that no one can touch them. So, yeah, that. Wow, huh? You gave the brainy answer. It's also a Rob really I... good series of books. So... I might give that go, but now Rob and I feel like utter chuds. Yeah, I was like <laughs> Star Wars. Dude, you want to fly around in the Enterprise? Mind you, I mean, my answer is basically the same. I also want to fly around in spaceships, have an awesome time, and not want for anything. Yeah, but in a post-scarcity, post-gender all society. Well, Star Trek is sort of there as well. It's just that I would have said Star Trek, but you had. And yeah. the culture is more explicit about being post-scarcity, post uh, any sort of... Um, roles. Roles, yeah. yeah. In fact, there's characters in it that flit back and forth between genders for different life experiences, and one character is specifically described as prudish because he never has. Huh. Huh. Sounds fun to me. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I'm going to give that a go. Yeah, it's because, a really good yeah. series of books. It's, again, uh, to continue our series of conversations about dead authors, of course, there are no more coming. Um, but there are quite a few culture books to read. Is Ian Bang's dead? Dude, yes. Oh. Oh. Oh, have I bummed you out? Yeah. Not that I was having a great day anyway. Uh, <laughs> but no, that's... Oh. Yeah, he died two years ago. Oh! Oh, that's... Re oh. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that's recent, because I'm fairly certain people can tell that two years ago is not a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. 
Unless someone's listening to this podcast like way in the future. You're making an assumption that someone's going to listen to this podcast. Two people do. Yeah, they're both here. Oh, shit. No, well, sort of. Simon's over there and you're over here. Yeah. I don't listen to it. Oh, oh shit. shit. Am I the only person? You're both, you're both our listeners. I am, yeah. I am both of them, it would seem. Yeah. It's going great so far, guys. Yeah? <laughs> What's yeah. the product like? You're literally the only person I can speak to and say, What's World One Stage One like? It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. And it's good. Like, um, no, I'm not going to say. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That was like, seriously, that was what like, the fuck was that? Was that? Was like, that was an attempt to make you get paranoid and go, Oh shit, what's wrong with World One Stage One? Or for all the same. And then I was going to go, yeah, yeah, I'm just joking. It's amazing. Um, you just sort of chewed, <laughs> you chewed on a chip for like two seconds, then you pulled a weird face and went, <laughs> and then went, I'm just kidding. And I, like, you didn't, you, you no, didn't say anything. anything. Like you were supposed to be like, no, 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 no. Like, never mind. You scared the absolute <laughs> piss out of me. <laughs> and it was worth it. Oh. That was hilarious. Oh, dear. Oh, my sides. Oh, dear. What oh, were we talking Lord. about? Uh, living in a post-scarcity society. Oh, okay. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> yes, sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Fuck. I'm not going to ask if anyone's been to the cinema because I know you have. have uh, we? Oh, we have. Fucking right, oh, yeah. and we're doing an episode about that. So we are. Let's not talk about that now. Oh, oh but can I tell you one thing? I no, have watched? no. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You can. This is a continuing. We had the conversation last episode about DC, like the animated stuff, being really good. Yep. Um, I I checked out um Batman versus Robin, which is their oh. latest. Yeah, I've not seen season. it yet. It's um, I, I'm not obviously I won't say because I know you guys watched them as well. But um, uh, do you know what it's based off? Not entirely. No, I I, I know it exists, but I know very little about this one. It's re- uh, It's it, I thought it was a kind of an odd title choice because Batman versus Robin is a separate issue, um, and they kind of the they, well, it's the Court of Owls. Oh right, that's. That's got nothing to do with Batman versus Robin. Really interesting. No, not really. I mean, it takes, I think, a little bit off. I, I think it takes smidgens off Grant Morrison's run where he had Damien just before the New 52 came in. Um, I think it's kind of like that because it's coming off the back of Batman and Son. Okay. Um, which is where Damien I'm not going to lie. That, that makes it sound like Bruce Wayne is running a detective agency out of a scrap shop. No. No? Okay. Batman and Who's Batman? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm yeah. Which is, that also was quite good, and this one is very good as well. And if you've read the Court of Owls um, uh, sort of arc, you'll see it's very faithful to um, you know the uh, the style and their basically their overall plan. It's, obviously, it's kind of um, distilled down because it's only two hours, hmm. um, so they, they don't have all of the detail in there. But it's it's, it's really good actually. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the best ones they've done since. I was going to say Justice League War, but that was quite recent as well. They're doing really well. And I noticed that they've got Weird Al as the doll maker. That's oh, an yes. interesting casting choice. Yes. What the yes. actual I can't fuck. believe I forgot. Yes, yes, he, he totally is. And um, you know what? He's done really well in this. Like, they've, they've put a little spin on him. That's really odd, but mm. interesting. I want to see that. It's very good. We'll hear that. Mm. Yeah, I might have to check that out myself. Yeah, I do. Um, it's you know, it's 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 actually quite a long one as well. Um, 
on the two hour mark, usually it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. At least I think it was two hours. It could have felt like two hours. That's usually good or bad. Good. One of the two. It was a, a heavy dose of Batman, which I was in much need of. Speaking of heavy doses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that wasn't the only animated movie you watched this week, was it? That's very true. Let's talk about Evangelion. Oh, have you been watching Ava? I finished Robin Ava, Rob's now finished the, the original series with the movies. Right, I would say let's segue into a whole Ava episode, but I think we need Iris around for that one. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because yeah. we, we won't know true joy until we know Jack's explanation of the first time he ever watched Ava, the movies, in, Chinese, in, in Japanese with Chinese subtitles. Interesting. Yeah, all I will say, and I know obviously we're going to keep this spoiler-free if we're going to do another episode on it, so we don't want to just blurt out the ending. But, yeah. um, but oh God. But holy fuck. Um, <laughs> And but also Jack was always kind of like a bit like you know you've got to watch out for this man like this is gonna you know this is gonna be fucked up and it was fucked up but um, I don't know I wasn't dissatisfied by the original ending no no was yeah. I wasn't at all I thought it all made sense that was something, like that was something and, I didn't get until like several times of rewatching because I mean that's got to be my like. 20th time of watching Ava. And it's easy. I thought it was going to be much longer. Like, uh, But it's yeah, only one, a, one a short amount of episodes. Yeah. Six episodes, yeah. Blow me away with that. So, yeah. I mean, we watched Ava. We watched the movies. Um, so there's an episode on that coming out very soon. Hopefully. Yeah, let's do it. I, I'd like that. still fresh, burned, mm. screaming into our minds. Because yeah, I only mm. really know of two reactions to the ending to Evangelion. Do we mean the, the, the movies or the series? Well, in general. Uh, okay. One is like myself, like Rob, uh, people who were not actually overly dissatisfied by the original ending, but yeah. also will watch End of Ava to get more information. And then there are people like Zoe who yeah. don't like either ending. And there, there's legitimate reasons. <laughs> Absolutely. <not> like <laughs> I mean, there are totally legitimate reasons to not like either ending. Yep. What I was like, what I liked about it was that. It could have done what any giant robot show could have done to have ended it, if you know what I mean. Like, a big battle or something. You know what I mean? It could have been a big apocalyptic battle yeah. with a giant Which monster. would have been cool, but other shows do that. Plenty of other yep. shows do that. So, And all we'll say on this episode is that Ava went in a different direction. Just a bit, but it is exactly. a giant robot show. But it's not totally a giant robot show. Totally yeah. a giant robot, giant show. robot show. I can giant join in on that now. I feel yeah. good. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yes, that, we got that to look forward to. Um, so I just want to say, yeah, we have, speaking of heavy doses in animated movies. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we definitely need to do that episode now. Oh, yeah. I might need to bring Zoe in on it just for the rage factor. I think that's not a bad idea, actually, to get some... I mean, I, I, I love Ava, I love Ava, but I do recognise its many, many flaws, so... Oh, oh and Zoe recognises its flaws. <laughs> oh, yeah, so we need we need that person. I mean, I feel like I'm going to be... I mean, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I feel like I'm going to be that guy for... Um, uh, for the uh, Ultron episode, but well, oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, I, I, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a really good film, but I have one or two moments where I really, 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 really didn't like it. Um, oh well, then uh, you probably won't be the only one. Cool. All right. Good. Good. Uh, but obviously, we're going to do an entire episode. Yes, plug, plug of watch, watch this space. Yes, it's going to be great. Uh, and hopefully by the time that episode is recorded and airs, the Americans will have gotten Age of Ultron because it's being released tomorrow for them, I believe. Oh, did we get it first again? 
We got yeah. it, we got it first yeah. for like two weeks. Nice. They've not seen it at they, all. They get, like, it, they get it tomorrow, first of May. Interesting. I did not know that. And I really, it's so backward. I'm so used yeah. to we America always having things before us. Well, it <laughs> we got it's the first Avengers film as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I, I knew was a odd. Yeah, we got it 22nd of April, I think. Nice. Okay, I did not know we had a head start on that one. So yeah, even better well, reason well, to avoid putting out the uh, Ultron episode too soon. Yeah. That, do you realise how difficult it's been for me to not put my rants about Ultron on Tumblr just because <laughs> I would piss people off? Well, write them as drafts. Oh, yeah, and release them tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe not tomorrow because I can't assume everyone will see it on premiere. But anyway. We're... I only have small negative things about Age of Ultron. Overall, I really enjoyed it. Only yeah. like tiny things. Yeah, I've got I mean. a couple of tiny negative things and a couple of really big Oh, okay. Mm, that interests problematic me. Problematic things, as Tumblr would say. Oh. Um, but we'll get, well, like I said, we'll get on yeah, to that. Yeah, this is not the Age of Ultron episode, believe it or not. Yeah. No, it isn't. It's, it's, the, it's the prequel. <laughs> but no. Uh, so this is going to be awful. Yes. Or really, or really good and we'll break the mold. Yes. Trend, not mold. There have been other good prequels. Name four. I can name one. <laughs> <laughs> well, name it. What is it? Red Dragon in the Hannibal series. Better than Hannibal. I think the, so the as movie, well. Not the movie. I, I think so as well. Better than the movie, not yes. the series. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's one. Yeah. Red Dragon's um, really good, actually. Ooh, can I think of any really? others? Um, sure I can. Oh, oh I'm sure. X-Men I can think. First Class. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It's better than X3. Yeah. yeah. It's better than any of the X-Men films, I think. Yep, okay. Oh, I don't know. I, I still I still kind of like X-Men 2, but uh, Daisy um sorry, First Class is just really friggin' good. Hmm. <laughs> oh, hang on. now we're just gonna really bug yeah, ourselves. I'm, I'm just really hung up on this going, oh, there must be good prequels out there. There's gotta be some good prequels out there. Hang on, I'm gonna look at this shelf over here, I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> um no. No? Is, is this is this a good thing? We should come back and do a good <laughs> a good prequel episode. <laughs> I'm not sure if we can. I'm not sure there are enough of them yeah, to do not a enough. whole episode. Yeah, I got, I, got, I got shit. Yeah, I got shit, ooh, man. Ooh, 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 uh, the last Final Destination film. What? The last Final Destination film. Oh, shit, spoiler. What? The fact that it's a prequel is a spoiler. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, no. Fuck off. <laughs> you like films that I don't no, like. I, I'm no, allowed no, no, to no, like no. I, 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 I actually do like Final Destination, right, but... I, so the plot isn't why I watched the Yeah, no, okay, that, <laughs> that is an entirely legitimate point. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, like, to let go of this whole uh, good prequels thing. I'm sure we'll kick ourselves later, I'm we sure. We will, I'm just going to yell one out in the middle of the episode, I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah, me too, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. struggling. I, right, I wish I'd seen the new Planet of the Apes films, because I've heard Ooh. they're good, and they're oh, prequels. Oh, my God, the Planet of the Apes films! Yes! Definitely. I, I prefer them to the original Planet of the Apes movies. Oh, now. Mm. Let's be honest, dude. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest to ourselves here. Don't do this to me, man. <laughs> no, I, the original Planet of the Apes. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just... The original one, not yeah. the Tim Burton one. No, no. Oh, shit. That's I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought of the Tim Burton one. All right, yeah. If we take the Tim Burton one, is it? Then they're definitely, oh, yes. Dear. Okay, fair enough. They are, very, they are very good. Simon, I think you would like those two films. Yeah, uh, this is the thing. When I first saw them, I was like, ah, shitty new franchise prequels. 
And then people coming out of the cinema going, that was actually really good. Not like, really? Yeah. They are so, good. They're really good. I, they are on my list of films I do need to get around to watching at some point. Planet of the Apes episode. We need to start making new episodes or thinking of new episodes. Planet of the Apes 1, stage 1. What we need to do is start actually writing down when we come up with things we could do episodes about. That's a good idea. Rob, and, I'm going to get a pen. You no, 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 no. <laughs> there's a computer in front of me. No, there isn't. There's a, a laptop. Yeah. No, there isn't. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I didn't know how to respond, so I just froze and tried no. It's the Star Wars That's response. That's terrifying. Oh, God, no! <laughs> oh, God, we mentioned no minute. Oh, no. Anyway, so um, feelings. Is, is, ooh, ooh, is the TV series of Battlestar Galactica, is it a sequel or a prequel? Because all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. Oh, Neither. Also, it. yes. It, no, that's just, that's just the recurring line that all of this has happened before all of this will happen again. They, they just okay. keep saying that. Yeah, like it means that's something. That's not a spoiler. That is literally, that could basically be the subtitle of the show. Yeah, the other subtitle is fucking corners. Is that worth a watch? I've watched like oh, a God, bit of yes. season one. No. Oh God, yes. No. It is my favourite bit of television for at least a decade. Oh wow. Okay. I hated it. You hate so much. <laughs> I do. I am. I am basically made of hate and held together with shoelaces. Yeah. Yeah. Shoelaces. I, I hate a lot of things. I love a lot of things as well. That's I'm true. very passionate. Yeah. Tell you what I'm loving. I'm four episodes away from the end of Daredevil. Oh, you've not finished it. Not yet, but oh god, Jack I'm loving it. it. I haven't started yet. Oh, oh, oh I'll do, I know. I'll just do it in all that free time I have when Rob isn't round. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man! No, no, I, I love you being around, but like you I'll wouldn't watch Daredevil where, with you. Oh, man. okay, fair enough. I'll happily that, watch yeah, it. Just, well, no, I, I only didn't suggest that originally because I thought you'd watch it with Rowan. Because seriously, it is that good. We don't have Netflix. Oh, do you not? No. Oh, okay. So good, though. And, right, you were talking about a character that they were going to introduce, Rob. I'm four episodes away from the end. Have they introduced that character yet? Oh, shit. Um, it's difficult because I'm trying to remem- remember the episode. Uh, yes, the character has been introduced, but I don't think he's done what I think makes him one of the best characters in the show. That's interesting because... It- I think I know who you're talking about because there's one classic Daredevil backstory character that has been introduced and had an episode. Oh, wait. That was named yes. after him. You know what? Because since that we discussed this last time, I realised I was wrong. There was another character as well. So I've been thinking of that one as well. Uh, but yes, all I'll say is he's has a similar... He's like Matt Murdock. I don't want to spoil it, see, so... Mm. Do you know... Do you know do I mean if I say that? Well, there are many ways you can be like Matt Murdock, but I think you're talking about Stick. Yes. Yeah. Is he blind? Oh, for fuck's sake. Yes, there's a blind man. <laughs> does he hit people with a stick? No. Well, yes, he does, actually. But I'm trying not to spoil it. <laughs> Do you see what I managed right. to gather from the word stick? I have to say, dude, Stick uh, was first introduced to the comics a very long time ago. He's not really a spoiler. No, I know, but still, like, you don't know who's going to turn up in these yeah, things. Yeah, the fact, the fact that he's in the TV series, I guess that one could be considered a spoiler. So, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. I, well, I suppose it could be a spoiler that he's in the series, but I, the character is over 30 years old, so... Yeah. Okay, don't say anything. Did you see who he went to? Yes, I did. 
Oh. And I know who that is as well. Yeah, man. Yeah. <gasps> Don't say that. Dormammu. Scorpion. <laughs> Get Guido. over here. <laughs> Mysterio. Ooh. Uh... Jack O' Lantern. Whoa, 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 I okay. I'm just picking Marvel villains. Okay. I'm just hoping that his fate in the TV show is different to his fate in the comics, and he doesn't turn into a vampire. Wow. Yeah, maybe. Oh, well, oh man, I hope he turns into a vampire. But there's another character that I don't think that he's done what he should do yet. That made me like go, oh my god, for him because he's yeah. You'll see. Okay. Who was the vampire in the, the Spider-Man animated series? Oh. Not Tombstone. Oh, no, I know who you mean. But, like, he had, like, completely white skin and, like, a bat face. Yeah. And Blade goes and after him, yeah. and then Spider-Man stops him. Yeah. It's that crossover, isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember what his name was. Lomac? No, that was Blade. That's why I'm getting confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure it doesn't matter. Um, Probably to, not. To most people. But how are you finding... Um, the the you know the rest of Daredevil that you've now seen, Simon, absolutely brilliant. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm so happy. It. Uh, I, I'm sold on Daredevil's character now. Yeah, oh, I'm glad. I've had more time to get to know him. Yeah, and uh, more importantly, the way they're doing both Kingpin and Vanessa is astonishing. Isn't it perfect? Yes, Morbius. I'm, yes. I'm loving. I'm loving their characterization, Vanessa especially, as... No spoilers, because, I mean, again, these comic book characters are long established, but watching the courtship between the two and watching Vanessa go into it completely with her eyes open, completely aware yeah. of what kind of man Fisk is... Which is avoiding that trope. Exactly, know? yeah. The whole trope of the woman going, oh, my God, like, or, or the partner or whatever, realising, you know, that they're, the other one is involved in gang activity. I and had then... no idea. No, she knows. Oh, yeah, God. Exactly. I mean, it's... Is this like a reverse Breaking Bad? No, because you haven't seen Breaking Bad. That is true. done incredibly well. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm not saying it isn't. <laughs> That was like a rigid defense there. I'm sorry, I, was, man. I wasn't criticizing no. it. Yeah, I, was asking, um, I was asking a question. Yeah, Gosh. No, it's, the, it's really interesting in that she's the object of affection for a mob boss. It doesn't matter that he's a Marvel character at this point. He is just the head of an organized crime family um, in context of the courtship. And she asks him to be honest with her. And he is. And that's so rarely done in this yep. kind of thing. And he's 100% honest with her to the point that he has a particular episode where, without giving any spoilers, he describes a particularly brutal killing and prolonged disposal of a corpse mm -hmm. to her, point by point, and ends with, I'm not a monster, am I? And she just looks at him and goes, no, you're a good man. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're an interesting woman. I like you. Yeah, they are wonderful. And you, you also really like them both. Oddly. They, yeah, they are both very charismatic. And also, I don't want to say anything else uh, about it because obviously a lot of it's story related. But for Vincent D'Onofrio, his performance, for the fact that Fisk is, has to be so controlled... Like, everything he says is very deliberate, and it seems like he's holding something back all the time when he he's... He does a wonderful 
just bubbling under the surface rage. Yeah. yeah. It's so well done. Oh, he's just brilliant. He has jumped up the list of my favourite actors. Like, he's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him do things for years, you know, from yeah, Full Metal Jacket, Men in Black, everything. Yes. And yeah. he's always been a good character actor. Yes. And then in this, he's just, he's astonishing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it brought, it, he is very much to the forefront of this as well. Um, yes, I mean, he's been given exact. the role to do it with. Yeah. Mm, it's yeah. Awesome. lots and lots of fun. I'm going to give this show a go. Yeah. <laughs> last episode. <laughs> and then I was distracted because a big tall actor kept coming around my house every day. <laughs> I'm just really enjoying um, the, the scene early in their courtship when Vanessa is describing a prince she used to date and his uh, white suits and ascots. Yeah. Which, if you know Kingpin in Daredevil, that is his traditional look. Yeah. yeah. So it's quite fun to watch D'Onofrio just look back across the table at her and go, an ascot, really? Then a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm liking this already. Yeah, oh. it's, it's Marvel Cinematic Universe, just with just a lot more dirt. Yeah. And lots more things going crack. And Maybe yeah, it's street level. Past. It's street oh. level. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's, you know, it is street level crime. Yeah. And what I'm just hoping for in this show, and we haven't got it yet, is some establishing shot of the city, just a nice long shot of Hell's Kitchen, and you can just see Avengers Tower in the distance. Mm. Mm. That would really give it its place in the Marvel Universe, I think. They're both on Manhattan, aren't they? Uh... I don't know where Avengers Tower is actually. Yeah, I assume I assume it is. Yeah, yeah, because it's like you you can in the in Ultron you can see um, the Empire State from like just across the road from it. Ah, then yes, I I guess it would be. It's the Empire State. I'm fairly certain it's either the Empire State or the um, and Hell's Kitchen Price certainly building. is on Manhattan, so you would be able to see the one from the other. Yeah, there's one bit of information I know that they they actually struggled with. Um, uh, in terms of making and writing the scripts for Daredevil was because of the tone they were setting. I got this actually from listening to an episode of Batman on Batman. Go listen to it. It's fantastic. Um, and uh, they were saying how um, when Joe Casada, who is, is he, the, is he, no, he's not the showrunner. It's um, he's head of like something in Marvel TV or something. But they, he was saying how they stumbled in the script when they came to mentioning aliens because of mm. the tone mm. they've set. Like, it's a very kind of gritty, very kind of... There's obviously mention of, like, uh, Iron Man yeah. and uh, a guy with a magic camera and stuff, but they say that it, it really became like, wow, this is... It, it was a challenge to make it fit. But yes, because it feels done, like a street-level crime drama. Yeah, but what they've done, it totally works. Yeah, there, like you say, there are some sort of slightly deprecating references when yeah. the man in the black mask is beating everyone up and one of the higher-up mob bosses is like, it's not like he's got an iron suit or some magic hammer. That's it, that's it. <sighs> so it's just a little throwaway reference. Uh, hmm. But yeah, Kazada is the chief creative at Marvel. That's the one, yeah. And he was one of, I think... I could be wrong, but I think he's one of the co-creators of Daredevil. Or certainly uh, he's yes. very closely uh, connected to the character. He's drawn Daredevil a lot. Yes, yeah, obviously with his work in comic books. That yeah. guy's he's done a lot. Um, 
The uh, what I found interesting actually, but uh, you guys like Buffy, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's Drew Goddard, Goddard and Stephen S. Knight, and they worked with Joss Whedon quite a lot with Buffy. Um, and to a greater extent, the two of those with Angel. And this uh, part of Daredevil really reminds me of Angel. I know, I don't think you guys watched Angel, did you? A little bit, not enough. Bits, bits and pieces. I really wanted to see more of it when I when I started finding out a bit more about yeah. the, the Angel. Yeah. Gets no, Joe but... is far too young to have created Daredevil, but he did draw him for a lot of the Volume 2 run. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have... Uh, I forgot what I was saying now. Um, those two. Oh yeah, so those, that's right. Yeah, they're doing Angel. Angel gets really good later on. By the oh, way, yeah, yeah, season yeah. five of Angel is, in my opinion, on par, if not better, than any of Buffy. Okay, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, um, I kind of got the feel of Angel from when they're in the Angel investigation set, and it's kind of like a private investigator kind of thing, and it's kind of got this kind of muted, gritty feeling to it, but better. Yeah, <laughs> like even better. You know, it's oh, it's it's wonderful. I will give it a go. He said again. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's not what we're here to talk about. That's not <laughs> what we're here to talk about. You know what we had at the beginning of this episode, Simon? We had a letter, didn't we? We did. We had a letter from the past. Ah, do you want to segue now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that letter from the past mentioned things that were in the future, but they were only for the future for that letter. They were in the past for us, but they were in the uh, they were in the future for the letter that was from an even further past. Time fuckery has hurt my brain. Let's talk about Interstellar. Okay. I've heard worse segues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was better. pretty good, man. Yeah. Also, Simon, you're really far away. I am. There you go. That's Interstellar. See, that would have been bad. <laughs> That's a terrible segue. <laughs> <laughs> that was all. That was one of the worst segues I've ever heard. Well done. It suddenly became depressed. There you go. I've now just underlined how good my first segue was. <laughs> yeah, just by giving you the usual sort of. <laughs> oh, dear. That's, that was good, though, man. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we're talking about Interstellar, which, if you don't know what it is, quick summary of Interstellar. What is it, guys? Sci fi movie. It is a sci-fi movie um, uh, bred from Christopher Nolan's cinematic loins. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said I'm, that. I'm taking this um, back from you now. No, no, no. And, and it stars Matt McConaughey and other people, uh, including uh, Tova Grace. And I didn't know why he was there. Tova Grace was in it? Yeah, man. That 70s show. Um, I, I, know, I know who Tova Grace uh, is. Yeah, okay, all right. Sandman from, from Spider-Man. Uh, wrong. No. Wait. No, Tova Grace is Venom. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So yeah. you don't know who he is. I'm confused. Like anyone watched Spider-Man 3. We all did. That's a depressing Like anyone thing. remembers Spider-Man 3. <laughs> For uh, the villains. But anyway, it's a really good film about space travel, of which there is also time travel involved. And there are black holes that they have to, at first, I think, avoid, but then decide, no, they always want, no, they were going to go into the black holes. They use black holes to get around. No. Around no. town. Yeah, they well, do. Well, I mean. Right, there's one that black is, hole. That isn't uh, the plan. At the end. It was a while. I was like, yeah. Okay. They, they, they go through, like. Um, I can categorically state you do not want to go through a black hole. No. <laughs> but, okay. This is a spoiler show, right? We're going oh, to yeah. spoilers oh, yeah. no, on okay. this. So okay. Interstellar is actually it's it's a hard sci-fi film. Um, 
by Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan, and I think that's important because a lot of the writing that I liked, I've since learned, came from Jonathan Nolan more than Chris. Which would explain a lot. It would. Um, In which Earth is dying and humanity needs to find a new home. And there is a wormhole within our solar system. No one knows why it's there, but it gives us access to a region of space containing an enormous black hole called Gargantua. Ah, that's what we call it, anyway. Yeah, and it's really big. It's really big. Within well, reach, is of... it really fucking big though? Because oh yeah, no, it is. It's a singular point, surely. But its uh, event horizon is really, really fucking. Big. Yes, there we go. And wow, within reach of that wormhole are a few planets. So people have been sent out to investigate whether they can support human life in the desperate hope that we could flee our world and colonize a new one, and the idea was a first wave of researchers would go out to study the planets, send their results back, and if the results looked promising, a second mission would go out and look at the planets that could sustain human life. And this is the story of that second mission, basically. Yeah. And it's such a good premise. It really is, actually. I mean, because straight from the get-go, you can kind of get the idea that maybe... Like, you don't... I don't know if you guys did, but you don't consciously think, okay, I can see where there might be a few problems come into it when you bring in the human element of this, um, of like throwing people out into space and then saying, all right, if you come up with some good results, we'll send more people. To rescue you. Yeah. And if you don't, we might not. Yeah. Depending so the on that... the availability of resources. And, you know, this is a spoiler episode, so... Just saying that some guy who may or may not be Matt Damon <laughs> might be a bit of a dick about things. I uh, thought one of the uh, that was one of the, it was a really harrowing moment. I felt when you when he kind of it started it started his scrap with um, McConaughey oh. and like it's just that image of just two human beings and you're just. Unknown mile, I say mile, light years away from home, like, and there's just nothing. They're in, the and it's just two people having a scrap, and that idea is terrifying. What was it? Can you imagine? What, what's, what's the concept from from Gothic horror? Called? Is it the pristine or something like that? The 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 big open. You did you did same English classes as I did at school. Yeah. What was it? What was it called? The um, I don't. I can't for the life of me what it's called, but you get it in the end of Frankenstein, where he's in the Arctic Sea and. I I didn't study Frankenstein. I read Frankenstein. Oh, okay, but there, there was a concept in in in, got, in a lot of gothic horror films about this sort of giant untapped white um, wilderness, um, and it being this, oh, this whole yes. sense of horror yes, yes, and yes. also beauty of this sort of big empty mm. thing where nothing can grow, and um, that it, it sort of felt very much like that. In, yes, in, in, in well, throughout actually, the opening of oh, this yeah. is that. Yeah, because it's like Earth is that technically to begin with. And then you've got space, and then you've got dead worlds. It's really a, a number of deserts, yeah, uh, pristine deserts. It's uh, yeah. The opening is set on an Earth where basically there's been a blight and no crops will grow, and we're down to corn. Corn is pretty much the last thing that will grow. Uh, yeah. To the point that Christopher Nolan, to make this film, uh, grew a 500 acre cornfield to film in. <laughs> 
Uh, which interesting side note: they then harvested the corn and sold it, and it made a profit. Oh, really? Yes, they made money growing corn to do this film. Ah. Yes, that's, that's the best thing in the world. <laughs> like, he not only is a great filmmaker, but he knows how to run, run a farm. My favourite thing about the note where I read that was this is something he learned from doing Man of Steel, so it's not the oh, first time he's done it. Of course, because motherfucking Kansas. <laughs> Excellent. You know which director to get if you ever like a filming in a location that requires corn. <laughs> Children of Nolan. We'll have you some corn. <laughs> a new corn-based movie. And you'll shuck it at no additional cost. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, oh, we need to build business cards. Build business cards. <laughs> build business cards. <laughs> we, shall, we shall build them, and they will come. Ah, uh, anyway, that was, a, that was a misquote. That was. It was build a little bit. Wow. But yeah, so yeah, we start off on this dead earth, basically, and they spent longer there than I was expecting, and I enjoyed that part of the film more than I was expecting, too. Yeah. Um, following Matthew McConaughey and his whole retired nonsense, and really establishing that this world is now dead. Uh, it's, it's kind of, there's a conceit in the film that it's almost presented as a sort of fictional history. There's this concept of the interviews with the survivors. Which is really good. I like that touch. Yeah. Um, and it, it does give you the sense of time and place. And I also like the way that early on in the film they're experimenting, or, well, not experimenting, but playing around with the cinematography because a lot of this film was shot on an IMAX camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in ways that has never really been seen before. They, they rigged up a shoulder-mounted IMAX camera to do sort of cinema verite, fly-on-the-wall documentary-style filming with an IMAX camera, which is incredible. Yes. But parts of it weren't filmed on IMAX. Parts of it were filmed on conventional cameras. And they tend to be scenes that are more closed in and claustrophobic. Yeah, uh, yes. A lot of the Earth-based scenes. Yeah. So there are moments when you can literally see the frame open up to give the scene breathing room, and it's, it's really interesting visual language that they're going yeah. on there with those cameras. It's, that's exactly what I was going to say, actually, is that it's so refreshing that you have someone who is, he is, I mean, say what you like about some of the stories of the films he's done, but as filmmaking goes, mm -hmm. he, can re he can really use it to his advantage where other people would probably let that fall aside. It's like, it's why a three, I don't really get on with 3D at all. Mm. I mean, I don't think uh, it really improves the experience at all. I don't think it improves the viewing experience either. Um, and often... Uh, it will just be used in just little bits, and mm, it's not a coherent thing. It's not in. It, it's not built into part of the art that's on the screen. It's just there, you know, that pops up every now and then. And that's why they were using it to their advantage with the IMAX. Yeah. Also, it opens into space. It, it's know? also worth oh, pointing out from, from a from a sound perspective as well, because this is the first film I saw in IMAX ever. Oh fuck! The sound in this film is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And there is a, there is one specific scene. It's it's the liftoff. Yes. It's, oh wow! If you've ever heard the phrase "deafening silence," yeah, this film gives you one. But it's just it's that rumble. It's the explosion with the liftoff, and I felt like my fucking spine was going to shoot out of my ass from all the rumbling <laughs> that was going on in that IMAX cinema seat. And then followed by just utter silence. Yeah, it's just was, this incredible ooh. crackling roar for the. Through the whole liftoff sequence, and it's really prolonged. They didn't 
uh, foreshorten this in any way. And then you hit the space barrier and it's complete silence. And it almost feels like the air has sucked out of the room. There's a suddenly vacuum of noise. It's, it's pretty astonishing. It is unbelievable, though that has actually reminded me of one thing I didn't get in the film, so perhaps you will be able to explain this to me um, if you guys caught something that I didn't. Um, so you know they when they take off they're, uh, from Earth, they're using a rocket that is not dissimilar to the ones that we use these days, right? For yes. Space shuttles and whatnot, yes. Right. Yep. Um, and they breach atmosphere, and that's how they do it. They then part ways with the things that break off the sides, and then off they go. You're getting the right idea. I need to see you play Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> um, but then, you know when they're on the water world, and we, I want to talk about the water world because that was an amazing set piece with the wave. Um, oh. I love that. Um, when they're, they, they have a shuttle. Yes. And it can fly around and sort of lift off without, you know the same engines as the spaceship that you, was used to leave originally. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's sort of, it's more of a, just a lift off and off it goes sort of thing. Yeah. Ah. Um, basically, from what I could gather, uh, the, the ship that they used to uh, go out into, uh, around Gargantua and indeed to do the landings and the exploration, and I can't remember the name of the damn thing, but yeah. it was built in orbit. And it was built in orbit because it was kind of a secret project. Yeah. It's very easy to keep a secret if you're building something in orbit because you don't have yeah. to take it from the surface of the Earth to orbit. So they used a conventional shuttle to get to it, hmm. but it contained uh, sort of the, the last desperate efforts of advanced technology, including that shuttlecraft, which had propulsion systems that weren't standard reaction drive systems. Okay. Okay, that's cool. It's, that's it's a yep. bit of a hole. Uh, in that, yeah, they could have just built one of those shuttles on Earth and taken off with it, and it probably would have been even more subtle than the standard launch. But then you wouldn't but have wouldn't had have that amazing sequence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. which I will never ever criticize. I was just wondering if I'd missed something. That's all. Yeah. I don't um, think so. I think it was just um, basically the film was founded on a couple of principles because uh, Kit Thorne, who is a physicist, advised on this film. And mm. by advised, I mean they sort of looked at a lot of the research he'd done for inspiration and brought him in to keep the science quite grounded. Yeah. And he had a conversation with Nolan quite early on in the development where he said, basically, if I'm going to help on this film, two rules, nothing violates physical laws, um, and if we come up with crazy ideas, then they're speculative science, not just pure fiction. Yeah. And Nolan came back and said, in as much as uh, I can do that without violating the story, sure. But if it really comes down to it, story wins. Yeah, of course. So it may be that this was a case of story winning, but, but also nothing in there does violate physical laws. So it's within the rules. Everyone's yeah. happy. It's a, it's a nice compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and don't go wrong. I'm not criticizing for that either. Yeah. Um, I think when it's a you know it's, it's a film, then absolutely, story comes first. It's it's the reason um, there's an inexplicable wormhole, which is later explained, uh, yes. is that the wormhole doesn't violate the far reaches of theoretical physics, but a faster than light drive at the time it was written does. So Nolan was like faster than light drive, and Kip Thorne said no. No, because we don't 
know how that would work. Wormhole. A wormhole we could vaguely sort of maybe understand. There, there is a physics model for how a wormhole would work. Yeah. And we, we don't know how one would get caused, but to say that there is a power out there powerful enough to create a wormhole is within the bounds of theoretical physics and faster than light travel. Yeah, it's, it's actually, there's been recent news. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, um, no, this is super exciting. As we're talking about hard science and space travel. Yeah, go, 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 go. There is a project underway at NASA called the M-Drive, and that's E-M-Drive, uh, oh, yeah. that's been kicking around for a while. And the idea is it's a reactionless drive, uh, which means that it's a drive that doesn't require a fuel source, basically. It Holy just... Shit. You, you give it power, and it generates reaction without uh, a reaction pile, without fuel, without fuel. Um, so it can have a solar sail or something, and that will power a drive, which is super exciting, because the idea is even if it generates a very, very tiny amount of thrust, you don't have to carry a fuel stock with you, so it can accelerate constantly. Uh, which means that you could send it to Alpha Centauri, and it could get there... In, I mean, it's still going to take 130 odd years, but, but, but that's still, we've gone from impossible to 130 years. That's a pretty big fucking leap. That's a hell of a jump. And I, I, at first, it was dismissed like cold fusion in sort of there's an error in the experiment because the amounts of thrust it generates are so very, very tiny, they could actually be within error bounds. So everyone was like, no, no. Until it's been done in a closed vacuum, until you know, it's been retested under various conditions, we're going to assume it's experimental error. Well, it's been retested in a closed vacuum and still appears to generate thrust, which is hugely exciting. So what you're saying is you just have to start it and then it just doesn't stop? Uh, as long as it has a power source, and that could be a solar cell. Yes. Okay. See, what I took away from that is that Simon is really excited by tiny thrusting. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. However, yeah. the fact that the M-Drive appears to actually generate thrust in a way that we don't understand is not the most exciting thing about this experiment. Scientists have recently observed a light-shortening effect which implies that the M-Drive might be generating a static warp field. I don't know what that means. Well, warp field. It sounds like warp jack. Warp Warp drive. drive. As in a warp bubble that contracts space ahead of the drive and expands it behind and allows for faster than light travel. Huh. It's there. It's within reach. This is, again, right now it's being presumed to be experimental error, so don't get too excited. But the M drive has repeatedly proven that the things we write off as experimental error are actually true. And if it is actually generating a warp field, well, that 138 years comes down substantially. It's, it's like the Brad Pitt of, of technological achievements. We keep saying, oh, yeah, but fuck it. It's just, it's, they can't do everything. And then it goes and impresses us again. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just, some yeah. really, really exciting research coming out of NASA right now where there, there's a load of scientists going, oh, holy shit. What if this is In, real? As long as we don't put 
fucking Sam Neill in charge of it <laughs> will be fine. And he does the same fucking uh, paper kind of demonstration that is used in Interstellar. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, exactly the paper. it's exactly the same. But he falls me and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, oh God, he's no. doing a Sam Neill. <laughs> Stop the abyss. Yeah. The endless abyss of torment. But Simon, because uh, that's amazing, and I was wondering... Have, was there any mention of how long it would take to see if it was if they were right? Well, they unfortunately they're NASA. They don't have the funding they need to do all the testing they want to do. So we don't not know. Not killing people. Um, but I, I think they're pretty invested in, in getting it sorted out. So watch this space, <laughs> or watch their space. Watch space. In watch space. Yes. Who knows? Space. We might. We might in our lifetime see man go into space. This is what I was thinking. I would love that to be true. Yeah. To, for, so for a man to go into space. Because right now we're sort of Leave on the surly earth bond. We don't get many discoveries these days, do we? We disc- Well, to be fair, that's a lie. We discover things about our oceans every day and about our brains and our bodies. Uh, let's I'll go to the sun. Let's, let's go to the sun. Let's go to the sun. Yeah. You were thinking I was going to say Uranus, weren't you? <laughs> Simon? So anyway, (laughs) you were really quiet. I thought you were either like really disgusted. Yeah, just like you you just suddenly realized, why do I do this? (laughs) Why do I try and engage? True. Um, Why do I try and engage these two fucking chimps in conversations (laughs) about science? (laughs) It's a good question. I don't know. So, Interstellar. Yes, isn't it (laughs) wonderful? It is. Gargantua is pretty amazing. Uh, the the rendering of the special effects of this black hole have produced two separate scientific papers. Yes. The the amount of work that was done to sort of render it. The the effects team have actually produced like a scientifically accurate render of Gargantua. It's not what you see in the film. Because I... uh, the Nolans looked at what it actually looked like. And the thing about a black hole is <laughs> it's pretty black. The thing and about, the thing about space. space is quite black. So they were like, that's <laughs> not thrilling to look at. Can we beef up the effect a little bit? We jazz it up a bit. I wonder what Mr. Thorne had to can, say about can we, can we vajazzle our yeah. black hole? <laughs> he was okay with it because they didn't fundamentally change the, the really unique sort of shape of the accretion disk of the black hole that was being modeled uh, for this film. They just, they just colored it in. They, well, they changed basically the amount of light that could escape the event horizon to give it this halo of light. Oh, uh, oh. So it was more visible. And it, it was just tweaking numbers ever so slightly. So it didn't fundamentally break anything, but looked much better on the screen. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty, pretty spectacular, I have to say. They did a good job. It was pretty. In a horrifying kind of way. But the, the, the biggest conceit of this film really is time dilation. Mm. It's a fascinating concept where you get you know, hugely dense gravitational fields that lead to relativistic effects in time. And it's the water planet that you were talking about earlier is the, the biggest example of this. Five minutes up there is... Oh, sorry, five minutes down there is like, was it five months up here? And then, yeah. yeah. That made that... The, the 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 way that they added that kind of tension and pace into the scene as well that is that is that was perfect storytelling. Every hour you're here, you're away. What is it? Was it a year, isn't it? it was yeah, crazy like like that. more than that because they only got stuck for a couple of hours. 
But yeah. I swear, fifteen to twenty years passed. Yeah, yeah, it's bad, and all the time, you know, all those actors, like, you know, uh, you can see it that they're like, oh shit, like, what is is there anything even going to be there? Yeah, like because we've been here so long, we could have fucked this in this on the, just this one mission, and that wave, and the force that that wave hits the guy, you know, as they're getting back into the thing. Mm. Oh. Because I think it's a mountain at first, he don't gets, they? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, they see the mountains. They go, they go, oh, look at the mountains. Why are the mountains getting closer? Yeah, yeah. why are the mountains getting... That's it, no wait mountain. a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> wasn't, that, wasn't that just a recurring line from my first D&D game? Why is the mountain getting closer? Oh, was it a uh, um, a living No, mountain? no, it was just they basically were having a jaunty little, little trip down trip. into... Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> a trip. Bad time, <laughs> a trip. But yes, um, and yes, so the water planet where a, a man is straight up killed by water. Oh man, like good god! And there's yeah. that parting shot as well. Once they've left the planet, of again, it's just the loneliness that is so terrifying of that one human body just floating on that planet alone for the rest of time. Yeah, it's just it's there. And it Hathaway nearly very got small. hypothermia, legit, filming that sequence. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's one of the things I like about Nolan as a filmmaker, but would hate as an actor, uh, is his <laughs> intense Ill- dedication to reality and authenticity. You know, mm-hmm. he built the endurance as an amortized set uh, so they could shoot it documentary style, so the actors had a sense of place and could travel from location to location doing the filming. Yeah, uh, and he filmed with as little CG as possible. I want to see Nolan make a film with Kurosawa because my because Kurosawa is the man that like will go up to every extra in the film ran, and there's shitloads of extras in the film ran. Go right, you are playing an archer. This is your character's name. Here is a four page um, <laughs> little bit of history I've written about your character. You're not. You don't have any lines, and you're only in one long shot. But here are four pages about your backstory and your family life. Um, you're going to live in this uh, perfectly recreated medieval village, this feudal Japanese village, um, for the next couple of weeks whilst we film, just to get into the right mindset and go. That is wonderful. I what was his name? Akira Kurosawa. Uh, and he's seven, done... seven Samurai. Oh, Seven uh, Samurai. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Cool. That is like, think, incredible. Think, think big. I think you know the samurai movies. Yeah. Um, did he do? I think he did your Jimbo, um, the Forbidden, the Forbidden Castle. Oh, Forbidden Fortress. Forbidden Fortress. Uh, yeah. You know, Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> um, ran Throne of Blood. Uh, he basically did a load of like samurai retellings of Shakespeare plays. Oh right. Which yeah. Throne of Blood is is Macbeth, and it's really good. And oh, I've got man. Ran upstairs somewhere, which is King Lear. Oh, um, I, I was, we'll have to sit down and have like a yeah, Kurosawa. Like, I fucking love that man. That would be awesome. But I like the. Um, yeah, it's just the immersion, isn't it? Mm. And I've I've done the odd thing where I've got to mill about in the background, and um, yeah, <laughs> I to have that kind of direction as an extra. Yeah, exactly. Like obviously, you're I'm, not. But it's just I, I'd be, it just I'd makes be, it worth being there. Yeah, I'd them, be enthralled, right? and I'd also be fucking terrified because he's clearly detail. a madman. Yeah, the amount of detail in that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he just like photocopied like six versions. Yeah, I think that's maybe it, but personally, I just like the <laughs> no, theory, I just like the theory that he's just trying to, like, he's actually trying to travel back in time through the force power of sheer earnesty. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yes, uh, where are we at? Oh, yes, the more planets. Planets. Yeah. In, so as yeah. we were saying, basically, because these planets are within reach of Gargantua, they're all in these massive gravitational fields. And that means that visiting them costs them dearly. Uh, Any time you spend on the surface of these worlds... Uh, but there we go, I found the ratio. Uh, on the water world, a single second on the surface is 17 hours of standard Jesus. time. A so, second. So they know that they, they are literally touching down, grabbing the data, and leaving. That yeah. is all they can do, because they are leaving one of the crew to man the ship, as it were. And so, as they're away, he's aging and aging, and this is showing itself through the visual medium of his acting becoming worse and worse. <laughs> he just becomes awful when they, when they come back. It's so fucking weird. Some people <laughs> struggle playing age. It's really weird. Yeah, I can, like, no, I can imagine it is, it is, yeah, it is a big yeah, barrier. Yeah. To, to well, it's like, how do you play you as old? old? Because yeah. you're like, well, I'm hoping I'll still be me when I'm old. But if yeah. I don't change anything, no one will know I've aged. It's it's a weird thing to get across. I mean, it's a weird thing to sort of pick holes in because it's just like, it's when you can see what the actor is trying to get at. Like, rather than like believing that it's this, I, 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 I don't know the guy's name, the one they leave behind, but you, you can clearly see he does a lot of like staring off in the distance, speaking really quietly. And it's like, you're clear, he's clearly getting across, I have had no one to speak to oh, yeah. for decades. It's, it's not age so much as he's gone insane. Yeah. Because it, what it, happens is. They land, and because it's an ocean world, for reasons of their own hubris, they flood the engine and can't take off for two hours. That costs them pretty fucking dearly. That's a lot of seconds. That's a, that's a lot of 17 hours. That is an awful lot of 17 hours. So when they get back, decades have passed. Um. And just to be um, to be clear, before we obviously carry on talking about this element of the story, it's nice because you know quite a lot of the science behind this. Um, obviously, that is completely scientifically fact. That's scientific yeah. fact that that would that, that would occur. That kind of relativistic time dilation is absolutely plausible. the The problem I have with it is that that kind of gravitational pull would I. I have trouble in my head reconciling how a planet within that kind of gravitational field, its own gravitational field, would hold things to its surface. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know the maths on that one. I'm going unless to have to... Was, unless the planet itself is like super fucking dense or huge. Well, indeed. I'm, I'm going to have to doff my cap to Kip Thorne here and go, he probably knows more than I do. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm willing to bet that because I've read his book, so I know that bit. But I don't think he wrote everything he knows into yeah. that book. I mean, time and space get really, really fucked up. Like, there's, there's the thing that really, really—I can't remember who it was who was talking about it. Um, but there was a, a, a factoid about like taking time and space into into um, factoring into one another, hmm. and it's a fact that really fucked me up. Is that basically? Once you start getting further and further out into space, once you start taking greater and greater distances into effect, like the idea that, you know, something that happens really, really far away because of the speed of light, you will not know about it from, you know, visually. Yeah. Um, for years, say even centuries, you know, thousands of years, millions of years until after it's happened. Yes. 
the effects, like a dying star, like right? the easiest one to see. You know, the effects yeah. of that thing, however, could still be affecting. You know, there could still be you know effects happening mm. um, that you wouldn't necessarily know about because you can't see. It. And basically, it's, it's the idea that things really, really. Fun, once you start taking the vast distances of space into into your mind. Mm. Cause and effect don't necessarily have to happen one after the other. No, that's it, right. It when, can happen before the cause. Yeah. And when sufficiently separated, cause and effect, yeah, they are no longer strongly interrelated. Yes, that's that's the best way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, cause and effect will happen, but not necessarily in the right order. Yeah, that is it, that is part of relativity, and it's fucked up. Yeah, that is the <laughs> thing that maybe just think, fuck, man, space. And you know, you've just blown my mind. You gotta bear in mind, you know, I, I I am marrying an astrophysicist. So yeah. my reaction of fuck man, space was probably <laughs> not like the most erudite thing she's ever heard, but mm. yeah. They should do it in a bad Bowie accent like I just did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you get the science hit right away of they've lost years on this mission immediately. And it was a mission with a time limit. Because let's not forget, it's not just poor Romilly back on the ship getting older. Yeah. You're talking about a whole planet that desperately needs this mission to be completed because Murph, everyone is dying. Poor old Murph. And then you've got, yeah, the familial aspect. Murphy is uh, Cooper's daughter who he left behind and he knows he's going to be going into this relativistic nightmare and that he'll lose years of his life. And he says to her, you know, who knows, you might be my age by the time I come back. Mm. And it's when he comes back from that water world having lost decades and finds the stack of messages waiting for him. Oh. Ending with the, so this is it. This is my birthday. I'm your age now. And you're not back. And I've never heard from you. And you realize she's lived her whole life without her father, whilst yeah. he's had a couple of hours on a planet being really wet. Yeah. A bit, a bit wet. I mean, that's, that's understanding. I didn't say it, really it? wet. Yeah, he straight up nearly died from water. Well, yeah. Actually, really whilst, before I forget about it, Simon, there's a there's an, an anime you should probably really watch. Actually, was because it, it will drop out of my mind by the time we get to the end of the episode. Uh, Voice of a Distant Star. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, um, it is a really beautifully done series. Which it's like basic premise is aliens attack. Uh, we've got to go send giant robots to go and fight. And because <laughs> because it's an anime, you know the the the, the star pilot for the um, like the big super pr- uh, prototype. Uh, giant robot to go off to the alien homeworld and, and fight them is a Japanese high school girl. Of course. Because that's, you know, it's, that's like the before the movie starts sort of thing. And it's her saying her goodbyes to her, her boyfriend, her high school sweetheart. Mm. And the movie is not even about the battles. It's not about that. It's basically them staying in contact with each other, at, like through messaging. But as she's getting further and further away, the messages are getting further and further apart. Yeah. And as she's moving faster and faster, it's, it's really fucked up that it's all, again, looking at time and space and all that sort of stuff and, how, how, uh, and relativity, but through the idea that he's just getting older and older and older. I think you told me about this one before. Yeah. And Possibly the on most, the show. <laughs> yeah, the most, impressive, the most impressive thing about it is that it was done by, like, three people. Oh, that is impressive. Yeah, it's, like, beautifully animated, but it's, like, including the voice actors, it's, like, three people. But it's that it's it's from that kind of um, that conceit, or whatever. That, that basically that scene with Matthew McConaughey when he's watching those videos, yeah, 
He's amazing. He really is. I, I've he never, is I have, so good. I've never rated Matthew McConaughey as an actor before seeing Interstellar. That's one thing I've got. To, I've got to say, I, I am again like the probably the, the out of the three of us, the one who's probably the least uh, in love with Interstellar. I'm not That's saying I'm just, to say. not saying I hate it, but I'm just saying like you do. You two clearly really really love it. Oh yeah, I really um, like it. Uh, yeah, I love it. I say love it. I do yeah. love it. Um, but I mean, it really sold me on Matthew McConaughey. Like, god damn, he did. So he did a really good job. I was really happy when I heard that he was in it because um, I hadn't long watched uh, a true detective which i really want to see because um, you know murder and and weird culty stuff in the deep south yeah, yeah. Oh, with the uh, i can't remember kind of my whole bit woody harrelson as well yeah it's those two and that is a wonderful tv program. we're talking about like new age tv how tv is changing the landscape of media yeah true detective is another one of those um give it a go I do. Um, you'd like it because it's, it's like... Uh, is, it's, is that it's kind of Steve, like, This is Waldman Stevens' new tagline. It's just, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. <laughs> and then not. I'll give it the old college <laughs> try. Well, yeah, Christopher Nolan said something about McConaughey, about this film, because there, there was something the media in the States dubbed a reconnaissance. Because uh, <laughs> he, he suddenly was doing a bunch of work that people really respected. Yeah, and Nolan said, "I'm I'm not a believer in this reconnaissance. I think that what's happening with Matthew's success of late is the rest of us catching up to what he's been doing all along." Yeah, because uh, totally. Jennifer Garner was talking about two different films she'd done with him and explained that he'd given the exact same gravity and intensity to each role in completely different genres. <laughs> and I can tell you, as a director, there's no question to me that this is a performer who can't say "pass the salt" without it being truthful and meaning something. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. Like, I, man, that's, that's amazing. I really want to hang out with Matthew McConaughey now. I want to party <laughs> with him. Uh, he, yeah, he's wonderful. Have you? Although I, I, I urge you if you've not seen it, because although yes, that scene is beautiful, probably one of the, you know, it's, one of the most heartbreaking a, a highlight for me in, in terms of all of cinema. That scene, it was beautifully acted. Uh, it's really good. Um, but then someone has cunningly <laughs> overlaid the latest Star Wars teaser with that footage of him looking at the screen. And <laughs> <laughs> like, and obviously you have like all the really cool bits and like the Sith turning around and the Falcon and then Chewie, we're home. And he, by that point, he's just bawling. <laughs> like, you need, you need to watch it. And then, um, and then at the very end, like he, it goes to the scene where the end of the scene where he finally turns the monitor off, and he le- he let his hat, he lets his hand linger on the screen, <laughs> like as if yearning for it, as he is yearning for his daughter, like yearning for the Star Wars teaser. Oh, that is that's beautiful. So it is really good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's genius. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the the end of it, Stella. Well, I, I wanted to talk about. Um, oh no! Yes, let's Simon, Simon has been expertly leading us through this. We I, wouldn't have managed this, Jack. I absolutely would have died on, about, a, on a barren world. Exactly, oh, yes, but yeah, you mentioned him before. Matt, oh my Matt, god, Matt Damon's appearance in this movie. Yeah, yeah. he was not credited. No, nope. he was not mentioned in any of the press. So yep. it was it was a surprise appearance and. Yeah. Oh fuck! Because when he's on, I love Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah, and he is on in this film. Yeah, like he's fucking clearly bug-eyed and crazy. I don't think I don't think Matt Damon knew he was going to be in this film. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. Because yeah, we were talking about the human element of Cooper's relationship with Murphy back home, but yeah. the other really human element of this film is Matt Damon's story arc. Because uh, we were saying before, these researchers were sent out basically to die alone. 
um, and trusted to do so. And Matt Damon's character, as we may have alluded before, flat out fucking lied. Mm -hmm. His planet is an ice-bound, lifeless desert of a world, and he sends back these really promising readings. And he has an existing relationship with Anne Hathaway's character. Yep. So she's very much keyed in to believe him and sways the mission because they've lost all that time on the water world. They can only go to one other world, basically. Mm -hmm. And they go to his largely because of her personal feelings. And they wake him up and he starts really enthusiastically talking about all, all the wonderful things he's discovered. And it's, it's under the planet's surf like well, well, well and another another it's, longitude. Um yeah. you know, they're they're quite near the Arctic Circle, so it's nearer the equator. And and he literally just says to Cooper, Matthew McConaughey's character, Yeah, come with me, I'll show you. And that's the scene that we were talking about earlier where he leads him out into this ice field to kill him and leave him to die. And it is this incredibly clumsy fight scene because they're in these spacesuits. Yeah. And that makes it all the more horrific, I think. The fact that it's... it is this awkward human flailing violence. Yeah. Two human beings at the end of the at the end of the universe just clubbing at each other brutally and it's just stark. I don't think there was any music on that particular bit. I don't know. It's just <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much it. Yep. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's their desperate, you know, suit-modulated shouting and scrabbling sounds and, and, and tearing, tearing of claws in cloth. It's, and and the, that final shot with the crack and that, oh, it was so tense. Oh. So tense when it's, it's his visor, isn't it? Mm. And it starts to go and you're like, oh my God. And the real giveaway that something's up is the destruction of his robot. Yeah. Which brings us to the robots. Yeah! Which, oh, by yeah. the way, are my favourite fucking characters in this whole movie. Okay, oh. I've got to admit, admit, the bones I have with this film, robots ain't one of them. I fucking love those robots. I love the robots so much. They are amazing. So, uh, Matt Damon's character's robot was called Kip, in direct reference to Kip Thorne. Yes. <laughs> yep, he's the funny one. Uh, no, no, that's no, not Kip's the dead one. Yes, kiss the dead one. Yeah. Uh, and Case and Tars are the robots for the Endurance. I've remembered the name of the ship. Whee! Hey. Uh, and they, they were apparently directly inspired by uh, Douglas Adams. They are robots with genuine people personalities. Yeah, but they're all like modulated people personalities. So you can you turn can bits on and off. Like the human setting. Let's yeah. dial that down to 65. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I absolutely love those. Things are looking good. Plenty of human slaves, my robot colony. <laughs> it's just that moment where they all just look at him and he's like, wait, what? <laughs> What's your humor setting at? 100%, sir. Can I maybe dial that down to 75%? Sure. You know, you can always use it as a beacon. Find your way back to the ship if I ever flush you out into space. <laughs> yeah, you want to go for 65? Um, <laughs> So, yeah, these robots are metal slabs. They look a bit like the monolith in 2001, but mm. much smaller. And they sort of knuckle around everywhere. Unless they turn themselves into a wheel and roll incredibly quickly. Just very, so you, very quickly. Just so you know, I think I really want to do a whole thing with this film with 2001 Space Odyssey. 
but I think we'll do that in a bit. Yeah. Mm. Oh no, absolutely. This yeah. is. It, it feels very much like the the closest thing to a two thousand one that has been made since two thousand one. Yeah, both, like an honorary successor. Both in terms of how wonderful the effects are, both practically and yep. cinematographically, and also how batshit weird it got at the end. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, so it, it is very much in honor of 2001, I think. But yeah, these robots I love because there's no attempt to anthropomorphize them. They are utilitarian boxes. And this is why when we were talking about... Um, this being a hard sci-fi, and I said that I actually thought Interstellar contained a better example of AI than Ex Machina. Yes. Here we go. These are just purely utilitarian but personalityed robots. They are nothing like humans, but they are designed to interact with humans. I love them. And designed really well to do that, yeah. Yeah, they're just they're, they're great. And also I've seen someone do an incredibly good cosplay of them. Ah! Oh yeah. wow! With with two boxes basically, and his legs strapped into either side, so he could walk it. Yeah. Uh, so it did the splitting apart and walking thing, with two iPads embedded as the screen. Uh, it was a really good costume. It worked that's really genius. well. And uh, they they become the unwitting heroes of the film, basically, like saving Anne Hathaway during the joint tidal wave. Yeah. Uh, I love the way they move. Because they sort of glide around the ship on their little groove things, wouldn't they? Like, they mm. become part of the floor and stuff. But then when they're outside in rough terrain, they sort of cartwheel and things. And this, this is so charming, but you can't... Your eye can't different. not be drawn yeah. to them. And you're like, oh, goodness, what yeah, they're the hell? Usually, they're hugely charismatic for boxes. Yeah, yeah. Fact, that's a good point. The fact that you can get that much charisma, uh, uh, that much charisma out of it was essentially a featureless black box rolling around <laughs> is really impressive. That somehow manages to carry things whilst rolling as well. Yeah, which with was the sort amazing. of things folding out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness. I love them. Really impressive characters, and it feels yeah. really weird to say that of these boxes, but they are. They are. Really good job there by uh, Josh Stewart and Bill Irwin played the the AIs. Uh, Huh. Names ring a bell, but... Uh, They haven't done anything that particularly suggests that uh, they should leap into our minds as, oh, yes, it's that guy. Yeah. Uh, We've probably seen them in a lot, but never noticed them. Yeah. Sort of blend is the background, like, featureless black boxes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Is then we start watching other films and see the the two robots in different films. Yeah, it's like wait a minute, like in the middle of Wuthering Heights. Like, <laughs> what? Wuthering Heights? That would be amazing. <laughs> it's the song in the background. Right, I've got a new, I've got a new idea for a Vine series for Wuthering Stage One. Robots in films they shouldn't be. No, robots in films they have no business being in. That's the whole thing. Right, World One Stage One Photoshop Challenge. Please send us the robots from Interstellar. Uh, as they appeared in other cinema classics. Cinema classics that they have no business being in. Yep. The the less appropriate, the better, really. <laughs> that is that, now, there's the tagline for World 1 Stage 1. The better. <laughs> Very true. Oh, uh, dear. Um, so, yeah, the robots. Are wonderful. They are. I agree. They're great. Yep. But, yeah, that... Uh, I wanted to talk about Matt Damon's arc before we talked about the ending because his part is this wonderful... He is the closest thing the film has to a villain. Yeah. And he's not even a villain. He's really just a victim of circumstance who's just gone mental. 
He's not. He's not even. I mean, he's not even gone mental. It's like he's terrified. Oh, okay. He's scared. He's scared yeah. and alone. He's, he's lost his out. mind. He basically. This is what happened to Romilly, uh, except um, he had no idea whether anyone was even coming back. He had no idea if anyone would ever come for him. The idea is they have these uh, uh, sort of sleeping tubes where they mm. can go into stasis, basically. And the idea was that if you didn't have promising results, you'd put yourself to sleep in one of those. And it was kind of just a very peaceful form of euthanasia, really. Because mm. the idea is hopefully, maybe in some, some many years, if the human race survives, we'll come get you. But you don't have any reason to believe that'll happen. Mm. You're essentially putting yourself to sleep forever. And confronted with that, he he lost his mind. Um, so he lied in the desperate attempt that, uh, to bring them to him to rescue him. So he's just a scared man. And that's what makes him a really interesting villain. It's just pure self-preservation. Yeah. And he's, he's extraordinary. Once again, Matt Damon, man. He's brilliant. Matt Damon, man, is my favourite superhero. <laughs> Matt Damon, man. <laughs> Could do anything Matt Damon can. <laughs> wow, that would actually be a terrible superhero now that I think yeah, about it. That, that would be pretty bad. Yeah. Man, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so then we move on to the ending. As, as you said, this is what really brings it in line with 2001, the batshit crazy mm. insane ending. It's the my brain is melting through my ears moments. Yep. I actually think this one is a, it's, it's a more comprehensible, more understandable uh, ending than 2001's. Yes, yes. It has, story-wise, it has, you know... It's, it's less based on, on, um, on I was going to say iconography then. It's less based on... Um, imi- uh, oh, fucking hell, I've lost all my words. Symbolism. Um, and and sort of leaving it to the viewer to sort of put together the the bits and pieces to to form the picture of what the the um... well I mean they're trying to in two thousand one space obviously they were trying to create a cinematic uh, attempted to, to express uh, the transcendence of humanity yes because yeah. in the novel uh, yeah. of two thousand one uh, David Bowman basically is hyper accelerated through the future evolution of humanity into an energy being that is infant-like in its development, but at the same time consciously aware of the whole of space and time. Yeah. yeah. Star child. That's a really hard thing to put on screen. And of course, you know, it was the, was it 70s? It was definitely an era 70, of, shall we say, peace and Could love and trippiness. And... Yeah. Um, I mean, so bright colors and, and flashy lights. Bright colors, yeah. flashy lights. Yeah, it was um, 1968. So still at the tail oh, end of the 60s. Wow, wow, Jesus! And that that film still Wait, holds. That may up have been though. the novel release. Hang on, let me just check. Yeah, that was the novel. Yeah, I was say, so the film would be a little bit later. Yeah, kind of in 68. Well, the novel was released in 68. Yeah. Uh, the film, on the other hand. I keep forgetting Arthur C. Clarke was that recent. Mm, oh, yeah. Uh, the Is film version was him? 1968. What? They were written concurrently. Wow. And it still holds up. That shit is tight. 
it actually properly holds up. Oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. As, as a filmmaking exercise, it shows why Kubrick is a genius. Yeah. Yes. Because he makes, again, it's the whole thing, feeling of, but I feel in a way that end, the whole ending sequence of 2001, and I've, I've watched it in a number of different mental states. Leave it at that. And um, wow, it did a number on me. Kubrick is a genius. He he basically makes you feel irrelevant, <laughs> insignificant. <laughs> that is what I believe. That is that is it. Like it, it, it is basically a sensory assault of that horrifying, dissonant, weird sound mixed with those visuals, <laughs> and then being met with that really fucking weird scene at the end. I'd say Lynchian, but this is before Lynch. Yeah. I'm not gonna. Um, it's a very similar sound to um, to the witch theme from Left 4 Dead. <laughs> yeah, that's how I remember it. Clearly. Not far off, yeah. But it goes oh it goes Oh it just goes on and on and on and I love it. Yeah. Um and the what and with the with the ending of Interstellar, I liked it because although yes, it it, it obviously wanders into the uh into the fiction part of science fiction here, but um obviously still grounded in fact. Like I like that it's always addressed that there are some things that we don't understand yet. Yeah. But this is a cool kind of way of acknowledging that, but also giving you a good ending. Yes. Not- but it's like, it's something the two films have in common is they're made by filmmakers who have a real interest in the art of cinema and practical special effects, mm. who are using them to depict something that we understand to a degree from science, so it's using practical effects to make something real, as yeah, opposed yeah. to using CGI or other more fantastical special effects to make something imaginary. And I think yeah. that's why both films have this uh, incredible, tangible sense of, you know, you're there, because they're it's depicting the, re- a, a, the real world. It's reversed the Star Wars prequels. Hmm. In what way, sorry, I must have... In using practical effects and so oh. on to create, to, to, to um, explain and show something real, as opposed to using loads of CGI to, to create, create the imaginary. Imagine. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the original Star Wars trilogy is somewhere in the middle, using real-world effects to create something imaginary, which creates a more yeah. tangible imaginary universe, which is why yeah, I'm glad that J.J.'s cool. gone back to that. Yeah. yeah. God damn, we just praised J.J. Abrams on the show. Hey, when when call it, do it. it when he does something yeah, right, absolutely. We can't, we can't, we can't keep crucifying him for the rest of his life. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll yeah. see. Um, we'll we'll find out in January. <laughs> well, we'll find out in December. But we'll we'll air that episode in January. Um, shit. Oh yeah, and also I like the idea. This might have been. I don't know if they actually said this in the film or whether. This was just me, because mm-hmm. it was, like I said, it's been a little while since I've seen it. Um, but the fact that he'd gone into, I think it was the fifth dimension, wasn't it? Or something. Uh, or, or something that what he was perceiving was a three-dimensional unwrapping of a fifth-dimensional um, yes. space. Yeah, yes. it, trans- it, went, it translated fifth dimension into, into something he could perceive. And I love that idea, because I thought we as audience members, that's how we're perceiving it as yeah. well. Um, which I thought was just a nice little... dumb, dumb people. Exactly, and I love that. I thought, that's really cool. I like... There are parallels to this. Uh, if you... Right, the way I learned about this kind of dimensional unwrapping in uh, astrophysics at university yeah. was very simply, imagine an ant on a beach ball. Right Now, 
I, the ant is a three-dimensional being, but essentially ants don't really jump, and on a beach ball there's nothing to climb. So to all intents and purposes, this ant perceives a two-dimensional plane that extends in every direction. Now, right. the thing is, if it picked a direction and walked forever, it would come back to where it started. <clears throat> so it exists in an infinite but repeating two-dimensional plane. Yeah. Now, you and I, we are three-dimensional beings looking down on this and go, you're on a beach ball. You know, we, we can clearly see the boundary of the beach ball. It can't. <laughs> it can't perceive that boundary. So he is the ant on the beach ball in that sense. Uh, so to him, it makes no sense. If he moves in one direction, he'll come back to where he started. There's no wall, but then there, there's all this direction he can move in. But to a fifth dimensional entity, it would just be very, very clear what shape he was in and where he was moving. It's just we simply cannot comprehend those boundaries. So basically, if you were trapped in the lost woods, right, and you didn't, and you didn't know your way out, but and then you would be the, the, the aforementioned ant on the beach ball, the beach ball being the lost woods, Link being the ant. But the player who has the guide with him, the walkthrough, is a fifth dimensional being. <laughs> right? Yep. I like Simon's more. Yes. <laughs> I like Simon's more. I'm trying to Simon, tell, I'm that's trying awesome, to, man. You have just taught me something today. This has been... Yeah. But I, yeah, I've learned a lot. We, we, the, the listener doesn't necessarily know what the hell we're talking about. So at the end... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The the ending of the film. Spoiler. Um, Murphy. Uh, uh, oh, Cooper. McConaughey. Cooper. Cooper throws yep. himself into the black hole. Basically. Uh, but what he ends up in is this five dimensional space. Wait. I need to ask. Jumping into a black hole, Simon. Yes. Given the. Where are you going? No, no, no I'm just getting something. Don't worry. Um. Given the nature of black holes and the, the, the incredible amount of, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to try and avoid using any kind of sort of physics-y words because I'm probably going to fuck them up and use them in the wrong place. Given the amount of tug that a black hole has, it's really good <laughs> at pulling things towards it, you it know, is. like light and whatnot. Yep. Would it therefore mean that basically if someone were to jump into a, you know, jump, I'm using that, I'm trying to do air quotes on a fucking oral medium here. Oral. Uh, um, if someone jumped into a black hole or piloted into a black hole, surely the point that is the closest to it, so for example, if you went legs first, your feet yep. would get pulled away from you faster than you are traveling towards it. That's right. You're referring to the process that is colloquially known as spaghettification. So would Matthew McConaughey not just be fucking ripped to shreds or like stretched out like a giant dead Matthew McConaughey oh. noodle? Now, we don't. No, because no one's ever gone into a black hole. True, but it's, it holds up, though, as, as, a, as a theory. Like, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yes, the like, theory that is, is what would happen. that you would be spaghettified and you would be stretched to a basically one-atom-wide string of yourself. Uh, now... One-atom-wide. And yeah. you get why, yeah? I, mean, I was doing the same to Rob. You Just say it again, please. Well, um, because I, I was out of the room. The, I, I'll, I'll try and now throw in some physics thing now, and Simon, stop me if I use like one in the wrong place. Okay, I'm, I'm literally just trying to repeat stuff that Roman's used. Cool. So, because of the great amount of, of pull that a, a, um, a black hole exerts on everything around it, that nothing can escape. Everything gets drawn into mm -hmm. the to the single single point of the black hole. Yes. So it's light, and hence the you know the general name black hole. As a 
point gets closer to it, it is drawn into the center faster than the rest of it is being drawn in. So, for example, if you are going towards a black hole feet first, mm. your feet are going to get pulled towards the black hole faster than the rest of your body is traveling towards it, yeah. unless you would be stretched out. You're unraveling. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for an inanimate object, that wouldn't be so much of a problem. It would just be, like, stretched out and fucked. But people mm. generally don't react well to being stretched out by incomprehensibly <laughs> powerful forces. No. So it'd be kind of like being run over by a steamroller. Basically, really? there is a, a gravitational curve, and the closer you get to the black hole, the gravitational pull of the black hole increases exponentially. Uh, another way to visualize this if you uh, this imagine, is, is this going to be the super creepy way of, like, if you were an outside observer watching someone go into a black hole? No, no, this is um, the rubber sheet theory of gravitational uh, effect. Okay. Which is, it's, it's a really easy way to get your head around how these gravitational fields look and why they do what they do. If you imagine a flat, horizontally suspended rubber sheet, and that is space-time. Yeah. Now you take a weight and you place it on the sheet. Now, you can imagine that would sort of pull the sheet down and would make a sort of funnel shape yeah. with this curved side. Now, if you take a little ball bearing and you roll it towards it, it will get into the top of that funnel and spiral down and fall into the, the weight. That is any mass in space-time. So if it's quite a small weight and it's quite a shallow funnel, that's just a planet. And that, that, that wall of the rubber sheet is what we have to climb up over to get out into space which is quite hard to do. It's a hell yeah. of a lot of vertical jump. The heavier the weight, the deeper the hole, the higher the gravity. So you imagine a black hole, if you have a little sort of one gram weight is Earth, and then you know several kilograms is the black hole, that's going to be a much deeper funnel with much steeper sides, and also it's going to reach out a lot further. Mm. Now, if you take any horizontal distance, so you imagine an inch along that sheet, Right, is your body lying on that surface. <laughs> now, it's just an inch long. But if you place that inch along the gravitational field of a black hole, it has to wrap around that curve. So by going an inch along towards the black hole, it may fall several feet down towards it. So that's your body being stretched from one inch to several feet along that curve. And that's wow. forgetification. Get your penis enlargements here. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's amazing. Yeah. Terrifying, though. Yeah. yeah that's, um, it's, it's the sort of the way you can visualize gravitational effects and how they interact. So you can see if two planets were near enough to each other, they would just roll together and form one big um, dent in the rubber sheet rather than being uh, two separate things. Yeah. And that's gravitational attraction. Uh, so... Of course, all this assumes that it is simply a black hole and not a wormhole. A, a wormhole, a tear in the rubber sheet um, that goes to another point, or a tube in the rubber sheet that goes to another point, opened by and monitored by fifth dimensional beings who will in some way protect you from the spaghettification yeah. effects and dump you out where they want you to go, which is what we're going to assume in this film, because yeah. uh, basically... The idea of there being an almighty powerful force that can manipulate things on a higher dimension doesn't violate the laws of physics, uh, which is one of the reasons a lot of physicists turn to God, uh, because they start to encounter yeah. things that you just can't fucking explain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And therefore, it sort of was a marriage of story and physics that there was just some being creating this. And the way they use it in the film is it ties back that he can manipulate gravity in the past in such a way as he triggers the whole uh, film to be set into motion. Self, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. With that wonderful little, like, reoccurring thing of the bookshelf. Oh, yeah, there was the, the other thing about black holes as well, Simon. Um, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember the science behind it, but like, it's, it was a super creepy uh, visual, mental image that I was given mm. about the whole, the whole idea that because of the way that light reacts around a black hole, that it gets bent in and it gets, it gets sorry, it gets pulled into the black hole yeah. um, and, and cannot escape it. The idea that if, again, someone was going into the black hole, because they that like parts of them would be going in further and further, you would see the person getting closer and closer to the black hole, slowing down. Yes, is that right? And then yes. you but you would never see them enter the from from the outside. Mm. You would never see the person enter the black hole. Yeah, because the the light that would describe them entering the black hole cannot escape the black hole, so you would never see that. Yeah, <laughs> so fucked up. It's so Weird, right? so fucked up. This is what this is what I mean. Like you just feel like when when you are uh, confronted with these these types of facts, like how can you even conceive of that happening? How do you what you would see is you would see them vanish, basically, yeah. because yeah, there would become I, I a point where the light describing them can no longer escape the black hole. At which point they would just cease to exist from your perspective. They would just poof, go away, and that's why the the interior of the effect event horizon of a black hole looks black. Yeah, because what you're seeing is actually things falling into it forever, but there's nothing getting out beyond that point. So it's just you're not even seeing empty space; you are seeing nothing. Huh. And as, as I would, I react to that in much the same way I react to most terrifying physics facts, which is just to shout, "That shit is tight!" and then <laughs> move on. And yeah, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, bookcase. Go. No, oh, well, I just like the. I, well, I mean, the beginning of the film it sets it up, doesn't it? With um, yes, he's with his daughter, uh, and Murphy um, has her friendly ghost that lives in her bookcase. Yeah. Um, and essentially, like there are patterns across the floor, aren't they? And, and dust. Hmm. Um, and something's been knocked over on the bookshelf or something. I, I can't, can't remember. It's books, very books. Yeah, it's various books have been shifted. and In a, in a pattern. Like. Yeah. It's in Morse code. Yep. That you then later find out. It's, it's, uh, it's Cooper affecting gravity in, in very discreet ways. Yeah. And it's... Oh, it is beautiful. Because although it, it does boil down to love... Oh, don't, uh, nah, that was going to be, mm, okay, we'll, we'll get on to that later. <laughs> okay, but th- that's the thing, this is why I don't really mind that, because it's done well as a film. Like, it, okay, we'll get on to it now. Do it, what? do it, do it, go on, because I right. need to consult I, I, I hate it both because it comes right in the middle of a hard sci-fi film, which has done an incredible amount to really, really work hard to to show us the workings of the science behind it. And then we have a main character giving us the line, maybe love is the universal constant. 
which should be on the front of the Mills and Boone book, not a hard sci-fi <laughs> novel. <laughs> but even even taking that aside, because I am, I am not I, I am not a, I'm not a science-minded human being, so I'm, I'm not going to try and argue that um, it, it ruins the hard sci-fi nature. Uh, if 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 Simon, if if you didn't like that in there, I don't I don't know if you did or not. Then that's more for you to talk about. Um, for me, it was the story mode because basically. There's that really tense bit on the ship where they're arguing about which uh, which planet they're going to go because they can only visit one and there's two options or three options I forget yeah because they've because they lost all the time on the water planet yeah yeah, yeah. I think they um, have three choices yeah and and of course um, Anne Hathaway is um, in love with Matt Damon's character and and she's sort of like trying to say that he he shoots her idea down because she is biased her 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 reasoning is 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 corrupted basically by the idea that she has feelings for this guy. Yep. And this is the same man who says maybe love is the universal constant. Yes, because uh, it, it's a funny thing, but in a lot of films, characters have arcs where their opinions on things change due to circumstances that they experience and things they learn. Um, and you, you are looking at, at McConaughey at the end of the film as a very different man from the one who left on the mission at the beginning of the film. I guess, yeah, but it's, it's, it's just at that specific moment, those were the sort of, these were the things we know about him were, you know, A, love is the universal constant, and B, we're not doing what you say because you are, you're, you're not scientific, you're motivated by love. And it just, the two things did not gel together in my head, and it really, really Would they have got to the result they had had they not gone to... Matt Damon's planet for love. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> Tell me. The I don't. I don't. Stories. I don't work in the what could have beens. I mean, I do. I write fan fiction. And the but. thing is, right? He observed that there was love there. He he said he he said that they shouldn't make the decision based on love. He didn't say that she shouldn't have feelings for the guy. Uh, yeah. He also definitely loved his daughter. Uh, you know, so he was recognizing that this love exists. At no point did he say you shouldn't love the guy. He said that shouldn't be our reason for going to that planet. Yeah. Uh, so I, th the idea that because he wanted to make that decision rationally and scientifically means that he has no respect for the concept of love, I think is is mm, that, that's reaching. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably explaining it really badly. I'm just no. I, to be honest, mate, like I don't think you are explaining it badly because I I think your point is valid. I'm saying what I took away from it as a film guy mm -hmm. was um, a very watered-down and sloppy rice pudding-esque uh, <laughs> version of Simon's ex explanation. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think it was, it, it was more of an arc for him, and that's why it's there rather than it being the... I put it down to the fifth-dimensional beings. Yeah, he had a bit of an eye-opener there. Explain. Yeah, I mean, once you start factoring in fifth dimensional beings, you can, I guess, sort of... That's what I mean. Like, I never thought it was actually love. I just thought that that no, no, was no, just no, them but, putting it into words for them but to it's, understand. It's the fact, it's, uh, again, it's the fact that sort of the script is trying to make you think that that is what yeah, does it. And I it know just, what you and mean. it just really didn't gel at that moment. And again, in hindsight, yeah, but it's just, uh, like, it took me out of the film for a moment there. No, and, and, and that isn't good, like, when you're yeah. taken out of the film. Mm. And I, I don't think you're wrong, mate. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think you are wrong. Um, it, yeah. I think it's a perception. It's, it, it literally, I think it, it, it's probably not as bad as I'm making it out to be. It is just the line, maybe love is the universal constant. 
just, oh, it so doesn't feel like it fits in that film. At least that you have closure, though. Imagine all those poor fuckers who were sat in a cinema in 1968 watching Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then at the end of that fucking mammoth scene, they're greeted to a white room with a weirdo in it. <laughs> like, you know, like, what was their thought? At least you got to walk away, oh, it's just love. They're like, what was going on there? <laughs> they got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, to be fair, do you, know when I, do you know when I saw 2001 Space Odyssey? Uh, was it quite recently? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, last November. Oh, well. Wow. That was the first time I saw it. I've seen it, I think, twice in my life. Um, I, I saw it again recently, and it was actually very close to when I watched Interstellar. Mm. And I, 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 good films I to love... Watch together. Sorry? I think they're good films to watch together. Yeah, that absolutely. Is a hell of a they, re- they really complement each other. And I, I, did, I had meant to mention this as well. Mm-hmm. The beautiful homage to 2000. There's obviously plenty. Oh, there's a few. Yeah, yeah. But like the set pieces in this film were phenomenal. Like the action scenes. Like I say action scenes. Like the, the dramatic the, uh, sequences. The dramatic peril of the, you know, when they're. It's the, um, the gyrated. The, the gyrating. <laughs> <laughs> the, the spinning. Um, centrifuge yeah that thing and it's going out of control in um, is that right is that centrifuge I literally just picked a word out of yeah and it sounded right to me okay you know the spinning space station they've got to try and dock with it by accelerating to the right point that scene is remarkable actually that is so well done it's wonderful and and, and it's exactly the same as the the spinning thing in 2001 the lump in my stomach as Matt Damon's going for it Yes. Oh, and I'm just like, oh, don't, don't do the thing. Yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's the fucking haunted house. Don't go in there yeah. thing. And watching it fail every time, like, oh, oh, it's so hard to watch, but so good. It really is. good horror tension scene. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Like, yeah. There are elements. I, I love, horror. I love horror, and there was some good horror scenes in that yeah, film. Well, yeah, Sorry. I mean, it is absolutely, as you say, it's that desolate wasteland of gothic horror. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is the man walking alone across the ice plains of the Arctic. It is that yeah. sequence, over and over again. Sublime, the sublime. That was what it was there called. Ah, oh, I was like, oh, what was it called? Isn't that what he wanders out into at the end? Into the sublime. Well, he sort of no, no, because he goes to the. I assume he's going to Anne Hathaway's colony world. Sorry, no, I meant in Frankenstein. Oh, in Frankenstein, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, where, where the monster yeah, yeah. follows him to. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I do he, know what that is. Yeah, he's on the icebreaker ship in yes. Norway or something. Yeah, on a fucking sledge. Yeah, it's freaky. To go out and read Frankenstein, there's, there's a, just good advice from this episode about Interstellar. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Frankenstein, uh, by many arguments, the original science fiction. Yeah. Oh God! Say, original, yeah, yeah. original science fiction. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, we need to do an episode on Frankenstein. Oh, no, I'm totally up for that. Because we've, we've got a, we've got a few. I think I'm thinking you're like the world on stage one host. I think we could all count ourselves as sci-fi fans and feminists. So I think it'd be a really good idea to do an episode on Frankenstein. I think oh, it would yeah. be really interesting if, yeah. if we did an episode on Frankenstein and Pinocchio. Yes, because there are every every story, every story about artificial intelligence is a combination of those two. Yeah. It is either yeah. the Frankenstein, the Pinocchio, or some combination of the two. Frankenocchio. Uh, <laughs> that's the episode title. <laughs> so yeah, if we do a Frankenocchio episode, I think that would be pretty cool. It's better, it's better than if you do it the other way around, which is Penistein. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, really good set piece. Yes. Uh, really good action. Uh, well, just well presented. Um... 
What's another word for peril? I keep saying peril. Uh, you haven't said peril once this episode. Peril. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Mild peril. Mild. <laughs> but I mean, all my sarcasm aside, I feel like the love is universal constant thing uh, comes down to go. it is the first. Uh, it, it's the first part of the film that McConaughey cannot explain scientifically is these fifth dimensional beings. Why do they give a shit about us? Yeah. And this is a mission he undertook for love. It was a mission that was fucked up for love. Love has been this kind of guiding companion throughout the whole damn thing. And it's just a man at the edge of understanding who has seen and experienced things he cannot possibly comprehend, reaching for a word that makes sense to him. and Trying to explain it in three-dimensional terms. Yeah, and I, I don't think he's trying to say that love is some guiding principle of physics. Yeah. I, I think he just means <laughs> which is, which that is, ultimately, let's be honest, what that line is. <laughs> no, I think he's ultimately saying that we experience the universe, and the constant is that we are driven by our emotions. Yes, and the universe only exists in that it is perceived by living entities. Otherwise, it is meaningless. Oh, now we're getting to philosophy rather than, than bit. physics. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not emotionally equipped to deal with this. No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm ready to bullshit my way through it, but I, I don't think I'd sound great. Well, then it would be really interesting if you suddenly had this conversation with uh, Case and Tars, who, of course, also experience the universe, but with simulated emotion. So, does the universe uh, develop meaning but, when experienced by simulated simulate, experience? But emotions that are simulated through the parameters given by humans yeah. who have emotions. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a moment. This there. episode is blowing my freaking mind. <laughs> so it's a this film that makes you think. <laughs> Sorry, it's a film that makes you think, or it oh, can absolutely, do. or yeah. it can just make you sit there gripping the arms of your seat as just watching that high-speed docking maneuver, just wondering what the fuck is going to happen next. Oh, don't get out of there, Matt Damon. Stay. <laughs> It'll be okay. What are they going to do? Throw you in space prison? <laughs> And one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this film, actually, was something that Nolan said about it, was it was his attempt to return to an era of blockbuster filmmaking he grew up with. And it's very much one that I grew up with, um, that was the, the sort of four-quarter filmmaking, as it's called. Uh, films with universal appeal that everyone yeah. can go see. Yeah, and saying that there needs to be a return to that in cinema, and I, I do agree, actually. Like because it's tricky, though, isn't it? Like you've got to nail it because there are some films that try to be too broad, or I say try to be are too broad, and they try and fill as many demographics as possible, and then you get like a watered down product. It's like yes. my early superhero films were, and that's for a long time, for a long time. Yeah, and I think like, that's the difference: is there is the overly broad filmmaking that is trying to appeal to everyone. Adam Sandler. Yep. Or there is a film like this, which is just made in a way that doesn't exclude anyone. There's no violence. There's no swearing. Well, there is a bit of swearing, but there, there's nothing. <laughs> There's nothing there that's going to get it a high rating. There's nothing there that's going to uh, cause someone to object and not go and see it. It's, you know, it, it has a universal appeal in that it doesn't exclude anyone rather than other it than tries soul, to appeal to everyone. Other than the soul-clenching terror that is space. Oh, yeah. We have, if we learn anything, it is that space 
is terrifying. Space will fuck you up. And we mean nothing. I, to fe- it. I fear space. Space for me is like the sea times a lot. I fear, I fear the sea. I fear space more. Space holds more fear than the ocean, but it is further away and harder to get to. I was, I was going to say that, you know, no, I'm, more, I, I'm more scared of the sea because I live on an island, and then I realised I should be more scared of space because I live on a planet. Are we only technically seven miles from space? Uh, no, in a space, in an atmosphere and shit like that. It's, it's, where, where do you define space? Simon? Above the atmosphere, right? That is well, like, a tough one. Um, yeah, because it's like the mesosphere and there's the yeah. uh, outer sphere and stratosphere. Yeah, because yeah, there I are. I don't actually know any of what's been. I'm just repeating them. So. <laughs> but there is plenty Maybe of outer atmosphere before you reach space, and then even then, the, the way I remember, the way I was always, uh, the way I always remember it, and it's this figure I might be pulling out of my ass, or my teacher at the time may have been pulling out of the rest. But I think it's closer to about twenty miles until no, you start no, reaching further than that. No, no, until you start reaching the edge of the atmosphere, and then you start getting into all the other spheres. Uh, yeah, so it's about 20 miles will take you um, out of the troposphere and into the stratosphere. So that you're definitely stratospheric at that point. Yeah, 20 miles. You're on your way is basically what I'm saying, yeah. 20 miles. Uh, it's more like, uh, I'm going to switch to kilometers because I know it in kilometers. Um, the stratosphere is going to take you out to about 50 kilometers. The mesosphere is next, and that's going to get you out to about... 80 kilometers and then you're gonna really be hitting what we think of as space but it's not it's just the thermosphere um yeah. but i mean it is what we would consider space it's where the international yeah. space station is i'd say it's about even with the sea with Cheltenham. then uh, <laughs> yeah how far Cheltenham is from space but but yeah. the sea is a lot easier to get to and sea i mean <laughs> and, and by extension the sea is a lot easier to get to me but it's I mean, easier to get to the sea. Would you consider, like, the aurora borealis, yeah. would you consider where that happens to be space, or is that still atmospheric? Because that happens over 100 kilometers away, vertically. It's that thing where it's like, but when you take also to in, in, into account of how big the planet is, like, across, you know, wide, the, 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 the surface... Hmm. 100 kilometers is really not that far. Oh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> not by any means. <laughs> yes. Um, if, if you were in orbit uh, and you were to look at the Earth as, or, or indeed if you were to look at photos of the Earth taken from the space station, and you can see this fuzzy, semi-transparent line around the Earth, that it, it just looks like an outline. That's air. <laughs> and And that's terrifying when you see how thin it is. That is it is a really scary thought. And one day it could all just no, you know I'm not even gonna I'm no, no, fuck you space. <laughs> I love you space, but fuck you space. We're a wonderful little improbability. Well you certainly Combined are a tiny speck of sand. <laughs> Sorry, we are a I'm pale blue dot. Uh, if you're familiar uh, with the pale blue dot, um, I was I was I was doing pendulum. Uh, I don't know what you guys were doing. Well, I was I was turning us okay. into the pale blue dot, which is um, it's a Carl Sagan piece on how tiny Earth is. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Um, it was. All seconds. Yep. The pale blue dot. That's Isn't the it in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, one of the Douglas Adams books at some point, the Earth is simply described as in the way. <laughs> but it is very small. So they want to build the. Uh, the yeah, that's the the very start is the fact it's going to be demolished to make yeah, it's space like the other thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So they need to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, the pale blue dot, Simon. Yes, it was. Uh, there was a photograph taken by uh, Voyager, the Voyager spacecraft, and beamed back to Earth, and we have this photograph from. Near Jupiter, I want to say, or Saturn. Anyway, from very, very far out in in solar system. And in close-up, there is a single pixel that is blue. And that is Earth. Just barely visible to Voyager at that distance. And Carl Sagan wrote of that, uh, from this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest, but for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and our suffering. Thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and forager every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. It goes on, but... It won't surprise oh. you to know that Carl Sagan smoked a lot of pot. Oh. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. That, does, that actually does surprise me. I mean, I, I don't know very much about Carl Sagan. So. Oh, you should look into him. But yes. He that did, isn't he? Beautiful, he man. But yes, speck of dust. A moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The pale blue dot. Earth. Oh. It's a really lovely piece of writing. Um, yeah, and he originally wrote it. Uh, wrote it? Oh my god. <laughs> he originally wrote. Wait, which one of the which one of you two was the one smoking all the weed again? <laughs> hey, there's enough weed for both. Um <laughs> yeah, on this fair. pale blue dot. Yes. <laughs> he originally wrote the there's series Cosmos um, that was recently revived by Neil deGrasse Tyson, making a sort of new version with our new understanding of science. Yeah. And what's notable about the new version of Cosmos is how little had to be updated. Yeah, how much of the speculation in the original cosmos proved to be correct? I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson actually who recently explained the, uh, something about black holes that I think we've really hammered home this episode is that black holes and T Rexes <laughs> are things that we absolutely <laughs> love, but are also absolutely terrifying. Yes, yes. Face, and and kids kids love T Rexes and black holes. They love things that a are amazing, but b could also eat them. Yeah, we love terrifying, powerful, hungry things. And I've never seen that terrifying, powerful time. hunger depicted better than it was in Interstellar. Mm. Certainly better than in uh, Abrams' Star Trek. Yes. I'm not going to stop crucifying him, I've decided. <laughs> no, that was just 
shocking. But anyway, yeah. Interstellar. Uh, I, I think it's got a pretty much universal approval from us, with with caveat. Yeah, with caveats, but I'm not going to say I did, I'm not going to say it's a bad film. I'm just saying I I had my problems with it, but I did overall enjoy it. Universal approval. <laughs> oh, we don't know. I uh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simon got there first. <laughs> Simon's smarter than I am. <laughs> oh, I, I just make dick jokes. That's what I'm here for. You know, I think I think you know that uh, that's rounded up quite that that bit of writing for me. It's just got me about. That's half. got me, man. I'm like, not, yeah, that's got me about half mash. That has <laughs> <laughs> only half. Um, yeah, I, I love Interstellar too. I think it's wonderful. And although I acknowledge that some people have problems with it, I think overall it covers its bases pretty well. And it's just a really entertaining, well-acted motion picture. <laughs> Why were you staring me down every time you were mentioning a word there? Because, I don't know. Every time I mention a word. You Shut up. <laughs> you and your fucking words. Coming out of your fucking mouth. <laughs> and I quite like that we haven't actually dealt with the ending. That's true. So if you want to know how it oh, actually yeah. ends, you're going to have to go see it. Simon, you've seen it more recently than I have, I assume. Mm. Right. The hospital he was in at the end. Yeah. Was it, was it called, I swear it was called the Cooper Murphy Memorial Hospital or something like that? Uh, I, and he's like, you named the hospital after me? And no, they didn't. Yeah, so presumably like, they named it after one of Murphy's Children. offspring. One of his grandchildren, right? yeah. Yeah, but Cooper Murphy. Yes. Is Murphy's name Murphy Murphy? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Is his daughter's name Murphy Murphy? Well, I can't remember the name of the hospital, but... Uh, yeah. Murph Murphy. <laughs> I assume it was uh, this, something else. Yeah, uh, I assume oh, it was... Oh, no, I think it was just the Cooper series. Memorial Hospital, because that is, oh, that, yeah. is, that is Matthew McConaughey's... No, it's the Murphy Cooper. Or is it? Because that's his surname. Is Cooper his surname? Yes, yeah. it's a notable oh, okay, thing about the film. We don't know the main characters. We don't know the main character's name. We know only know his surname. Right, because he's only ever oh, Cooper man. or Cooper throughout the that whole film. Like it's like priest is what it's like. Drives better. <laughs> yes, it is. You've seen priest. Yes. Oh man, we need to do an episode on that and cry ourselves. Yeah, let's out. watch it again. No, <laughs> there's literally one good thing in that film, <laughs> and his name is Carl Urban. Yeah, man. What a legend. And do you know what? Yeah, we, my, that's what Interstellar was missing. Eh? We've just done a whole episode about a film that had Michael Caine in it without mentioning him. Michael Caine? Was, oh my God, Michael Caine was in that. What a dickhead he was. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> that was the worst Michael Caine impression I've ever That was terrible. Hey, I didn't say I was an impressionist. <laughs> no, but you're an actor. That's basically the same thing. <laughs> you do impressions of characters. Maybe. Depends. But you are right, and what a dickhead he was in that film. Mm -hmm. Sort of. Kind no, of. No, kind of, of absolutely really. was. 
Yeah. All right. Fair enough. He was a dickhead, man. Like, there's no denying. It that. wasn't going to work, was it? Nah. You just, <laughs> you just shot people into space for yuck, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you think about it, it's like you're a real dick, man. <laughs> he just like he just thought, fuck it, you know. It's, it's less. You just shot people into space for yuck, didn't you? Yeah. What are you gonna do now? Gonna keep. I'm gonna keep up with this lie for the next couple of decades. <laughs> And work out its formula with Murphy and then tell her on my deathbed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, in retrospect, that's fucking hilarious. (laughs) I mean, he is the ultimate troll. He's got some. He's got a great fucking poker face. Is all I'm saying. I would have cracked long before that. I would probably would have cracked the moment the space rocket took off and gone. Yeah, by the way, yeah, he waited. He waited so no one could do anything. To him. <laughs> yes, because like, there's no repercussions. He's, he's like, he's, I'm going to die now. Oh, by the way, yeah. Oh, yes. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors up. Yeah. <laughs> Out. Would have had no repercussions if he'd done it right at the beginning because Murphy would have been like ten. What the fuck are you gonna do? Grow up angry. She did that anyway. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that is, he said that in the saddest voice. Oh, that is true. That is <laughs> I, it's, it's actually, yeah, we've only talked really about Matthew McConaughey being in this and, and, and Anne Hathaway, but yeah, it's got that John Lithgow, really... it's got Lithgow. Michael Caine. Uh, oh, was it? Yeah, he was the, um, his, oh, his, his yeah. father-in-law, yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I, I love John Lithgow. I, I love him. He was totally great. Speaking of John Lithgow, yeah, you need to go see um, the first, I forget which one it is, Rise, Dawn of the Rise of the Shadow of the Planet. Dawn of the Rise of the Shadow of the Planet that belong to the apes, but now they're under it. <laughs> yes, That's that the one. one. Yeah. Is John Lithgow's in it? Well, my problem with John Lithgow, and, and this was actually a problem I had with Interstellar, and don't get me wrong, I think John Lithgow is great. Yeah. I, yeah. I love John Lithgow, but he will forever be Dick Solomon in my head. <laughs> Ever since he did Third Rock, he has been inextricably linked with crazy alien pretending to be human. Yes. So when he yeah. does a serious piece and his turn in Interstellar is deeply serious and emotional, yeah. I just see Dick Solomon. You, you might have a big problem with Planet of the Apes <laughs> when you're playing well do, yes. stuff for a then. <laughs> yes, I will have the worst problem with that oh god but he's off trying to drive a car that isn't his <laughs> yeah i'll just no. see dick solomon that's it's yeah. not gonna be good don't so, anymore i think he's brilliant but he does always take me out of something because he's such a comedy role it's the same <laughs> problem i have with gotham actually the tv series oh go on i've is watched it, it most currently? of it now um i i like gotham quite a lot but the mayor um, yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the actor who plays him now. Yeah, I know who you mean. Um, he was in Spin City. Richard Kind, that's his name. I don't he's, know who that is. He's a, he's a comedian. Um, well, he's a comic actor. Or, okay. or is primarily in the things I remember him from. Yeah. That's the trouble. So it's another one of those things where he's been inextricably linked in my mind with a comic role, and I can't watch him do serious stuff anymore. It okay. just it- lifts me out of, the, uh, out of the scene where I'm just like, but you're hilarious. I'm, I'm waiting like- for you to do a joke. Go on, do a joke. <laughs> It's like when Dane Cook started acting and everyone was like, oh, it's that unfunny comedian being an un- 
good actor. I'll tell you who Richard Kind is. He's the um, he's Mister Corman, the uh, the hypochondriac in Scrubs, who keeps coming oh, in and getting scared. Yes. And Roger, thank Corman. you. That was really bugging me. Yes. I was like, I know someone said something else as well. And because he, he does too. like Scrubs, Spin City, Mad About You. Yeah, I know him as a comic actor. Yeah. And then he's the mayor. Yeah, not taking anything away from the guy who plays Penguin in, in, in Gotham, but he would have been a big... He's one of the really good things about Gotham, is that guy. Mm. Um, we should... I'll tell you what, Simon, we should do an episode on Gotham. We should, because Robin Lord Taylor, who plays Oswald Cobblepot, is should amazing. Should we do a episode? Yeah. Daredevil yes. Gotham. Um, that would work. Yes, yes, let's. I, I haven't like finished watching either series, battle. though. Battle I, of the Cowl. No, because Daredevil already wins. Oh, okay. Not against Daredevil versus Batman. I mean against Daredevil, Daredevil versus Gotham. The show I'll be is honest, Daredevil. Yes. Um, what I have said about Daredevil to Zoe repeatedly whilst watching it is this is the show Gotham wishes it could have been. Yes, it oh. does. It's so bad. Yeah. So bad. Gotham. Gotham's fun. <laughs> I'm in no hurry to finish the series. No. Ooh, Daredevil oh, is brilliant. I'm on episode 19. We've, I think I've just watched episode 19. We've gone on to another topic here, so I'm assuming we're sort of... We're dwindling off. We're dwindling No, no, we're tiptoeing towards the end of the episode. We so are that's very fine. I want to get Simon's thoughts on this before we go. Simon, Suicide Squad Joker, the, the Jared Leto letter. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. What no, did you think? Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't like it. Okay. To, to just cards on the table. I don't like it. However, I don't like it because I think they took a good idea too far. Oh, okay. The, the principle I'm not against of this sort of tattooed uh, Joker because they, they've obviously gone for a little bit of killing joke with the hands on the head. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like the kind of thin... Um, the the physique, the build of the character, yes. I think has he's, gone very he's well. He, he looks, you know, lithe and dangerous. And I, I love the one purple glove. That's kind of a lovely touch. Yeah. I'm not okay. against the tattoos, uh, mm. but in the most part. I think that he's got damaged tattooed across his forehead, and I have a huge problem with that because the yeah, idea that yeah. the Joker would acknowledge himself as damaged is preposterous to me. It's only really faintly, but it's got damage written across his forehead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever actually saw that in the picture, but I'll go and have another look at it. And that's the one that bothers me more than anything. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of the big Joker grin on the forearm. I'm not a big fan of the chattering teeth on the back of the hand or the death's head in the jester cap. But yeah. if they'd just stuck to ha 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 tattooed all over himself, I would mm. have fucking loved that. Because we've seen time and time again that, you know, locked away in Arkham, he will start scrolling that all over the walls. And I love the idea of revealing this sort of tatted up Joker with just this prison tattoo ha 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 all over oh, himself. Oh, gouging into himself and inking himself. And someone saying, what's with the tattoos? And someone else replying, he ran out of wall space. Would oh, sum up the Joker to me. That's horrifying. So I think they had oh. just the, the the nugget of a brilliant idea, and then they looked at Ninja from Deantford <laughs> and went, "Let's make a Zeph Joker." And they've taken the idea a bit too far. Yeah. What do you think of the teeth? Because I, I was talking with a mate of mine. You were talking with me about this yesterday. I, yeah. I also told you about this. Yeah, yes. I really like this. Yeah. Um. 
Because like, instantly I thought, oh, what's, what's with the grill and his teeth? Mm. But then I thought, obviously you'd have that because Joker fights Batman. Yeah, he's had his teeth knocked out a few times. He's had his teeth smashed in so many times. Of course he has those. And I thought, the scene that I imagine, right? Dark room. Two officers of G, uh, GCPD have just gone into a, like a, a darkened room. They know the Joker's around somewhere, but they don't know where. And you get the tiniest flash of light from one side of the room, and you just see the grin illuminated in the dark, like a fucking Cheshire cat. That's what I do with that. Oh yeah, that would be a lovely shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, don't, do I don't have a problem with the teeth. Um, it's the it, it's the word damaged. And some of the more thug life tattoos, you know, he's got something written across his stomach. I'm not sure yeah. I'm thrilled about that, but uh, I think we'll see. I've got a bit. It's the same. It's the same thing I felt when I, about about the Heath Ledger joke when I first saw it, which is just all right. It's 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 um, it's got a lot of problems with it. Yeah, but they're trying something different. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. different. I mean. I'm not saying necessarily everything different is it's good for the sake of being different, yeah. but it's nice to mix things up a little bit, um, especially with like DC of man, they've got to try and do something to win us over. Unfortunately, I've heard some really bad whispers about what's going on at Warner brothers regarding the DC movie universe. Yeah. Um, can you, can you pause one second? Cause I, I really, I really want to know what you're, you're about to say, but just one thing about the tattoos before you say hey, that. Go yeah. ahead. Just before we move on, yep. like I think that I, I'm sort of with you, Simon. I think it's almost too aware of the Joker as a brand in some of his tattoos. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Unless they make a point of that in the film that he's turned his because God his damn, idea Joker. into a like a fetishist Joker kind going of into brand. marketing Joker. Yeah, I have exactly. no, no, I have no problem with that because in the animated series, of course, he tried to copyright the the, the Joker fish. You know, yeah, the yeah. idea of Joker being aware of his own brand when he walks off whistling his own incidental music, I have no problem with that self-awareness. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> okay, do, do, okay. Do, 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 that's do, all I wanted do, to do, say. Do, do, Sorry. Do, do, do. Please carry no, on. I'm what? completely this with you on that. News. But uh, yeah, the horrible news is that basically they're desperately trying to go for a contiguous universe like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. but they don't have anyone in charge. Oh. So... What that continuous universe means keeps changing between different executives. So, so they're going to conflict. Apparently, there are like five Wonder Woman script writers, and scripts have been accepted, produced, started production on, and then thrown out because they don't fit with the new vision for the universe. And yeah, just no one's in charge. Oh, no. And Zack Snyder and Jeff Johns specifically, apparently, are really jockeying to be in charge of the whole direction of the whole universe. I'll do it. And it's going back and forth. If if it's either of them, give it to Jeff Johns. I'd rather it be Jeff Johns. Oh, fucking yes. In a heartbeat. Oh, for fuck's sake. uh, Also, speaking of character (laughs) shots, I think today um, Will Smith's first um, costume shots got released. Oh, is it actually a picture or is it? Oh, I've not, seen, I've not seen them. I just saw that it had been released. Oh, I saw a drawing of it. I didn't actually see a picture of him. Uh, I've seen a picture. We don't know for sure that it's definitely Will Smith's Deadshot because the thing about Deadshot is he's got the mask it's, on. It's, yeah. you know, it's really hard to say that that is definitely Deadshot. Um, yeah, it just looks really unexciting. I'm Honestly, I'm expecting Suicide Squad to be shit. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of come to that point where I'm like, 
It doesn't really matter what they do because the whole film is going to be balls. Yeah. Oh, I feel kind of bad for representing DC at the, the Judd tomorrow. I don't. No? We're no, they need all the fucking hell they can get. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to square off against the Marvel, like... I'm still, ha- no, I'm still happily hanging my hat up in the DC camp. Like, I think, massive. yeah, just because the films aren't great doesn't yeah. mean... We've still got, we well, still got Batman the Animated the Series. The also aren't great right now either. But this is, this is what I was thinking. This is, again, this, is what I was, <laughs> this is what I was thinking of on the way back home. And I was like, because it's Marvel versus DC Judder tomorrow. And the original plan was to do a Marvel thing, but I've now moved back to doing a DC thing. Yeah. So I'm like, what is it that I still can stand by in DC? And I'm like, well, they've done some, they in the past have done some good things. They've got, some, they've got good pedigree. Um, and also the fact of like the various concepts from, from DC, I really like, like the ideas of a lot of the villains, maybe not necessarily how they're always, uh, you're more about the villains though, aren't I'm you? always, I'm always more about the villains in, in literally yeah. everything though. Uh, that's just kind of a, my whole bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like the concepts and, and not, they're not necessarily always executed very well. No, always. Um, but like the ideas and, and, and the, the raw material that DC gives to work with, I think, I think is a lot more interesting to me than a lot of the stuff that Marvel has. Marvel gives off a much better, fully finished, polished work. But in terms of the raw material and what there is to work with, I think DC. Yeah, is much it's more almost like it's almost and as like a writer, and like that. That to me is a lot more interesting. Like here is a, a world, go play with it. Yeah, like DC is more of a mythology, isn't it? Whereas uh, with Marvel, you have people like Spider Man, very relatable kind of like with everyday world problems yeah. as well. I think there's more of that. And in Marvel. there's something to say for both so, yeah. of those as being really, really great. And it's more relatable. Yeah. Marvel is much more relatable than DC. See, I've which been is a DC weird reader think- for years and years and years. But yeah. looking at my habits lately, I've been picking up more and more Marvel books and dropping more and more DC books. Yeah. Oh, it, it is definitely a trend for a lot of people now as well. I mean, I, I think when I, when I try and think of stand- standout comics... That I've, I've really, really enjoyed, like, you know, graphic novels or um, trade paperbacks and stuff. The ones that always spring to mind are always DC ones, except Civil War. Civil War always jumps to mind for Marvel. Um, but the, the other ones that jump to mind are, like, you know, Serious House on Serious Earth, Killing Joke. I mean, they're probably all Batman ones now that I think about it as well. Um, but in terms of Marvel, like, the, the, the two from Marvel that always jump to my mind are Civil War and Guardian Devil. And Old Man Logan. Guardian Devil is amazing. Um, oh, and old, actually, yeah, Old Man Logan. Old Man Logan's sort of um, alternate history. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. But it is, it is still a Marvel comic, so yeah, 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 absolutely. But what um, I'll say is at the moment, uh, DC have even acknowledged that the New 52 was a failure. Yeah. Yes. They, they, they're Let's killing it, it off now. And I will yeah. keep an open eye out on what they're doing next. Uh, I'm but hoping that I'll be able to pick up a few books. But on the Marvel side... Captain Marvel has been phenomenal. Uh, oh, yeah. Just one of the best written books I've read in ages. Uh, Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, um, Pakistani immigrant superhero in Jer- New Jersey. Hmm. I, it's such daring material. Like uh, The writers said when they were first pitched the idea, okay, and are you going to hire us a full-time intern to deal with the hate mail? <laughs> But it just hasn't turned out that way. It's been this huge success. Uh, they've given Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics his own run on Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which oh, yeah. is wonderful. I mean, I it's so well. good. And they're just getting better and better. And this is ignoring the fact that Matt Fraction's Hawkeye has been amazing for ages. 
Oh yeah. And you've got the all all new, all different Avengers, which has got Thor as she is now. Uh, yes. Vision. Yeah. Um Miles Morales's Spider Man. Um who else is on that force? Oh, um Sam as Captain America. So basically it's it's all the characters that the uh, shall we say the Gamergate of comics hate? Yes. Um, in, in one which, force, which I love. Speaking speak of which, I know we're going to go more into it on next next episode, but c- c- I just want to say, and also like, turn your ears off now, listener, for for Ultron spoilers. The new Avengers. When you compare it to to the, the classic four from from you know from Avengers Assemble, yep. yeah. And now you look at the new one. Not one of them. Not one of the new Avengers is a white guy. Yeah, we yeah, talked about that. I'm so fucking psyched. Two black guys I'm and a green guy. Yeah, and a girl. And a girl. I'm well, so f- technically Cap is a white guy, but he, like I said, of the four, like it's it's not counting. So, for example, like in the first film, not counting um, Fury, Hawkeye, or, or uh, Black Widow. Okay. Um, but as I said, the, the four, you know, I want to see the poster four, but again, Hawkeye and Black Widow are on there. Um, you, no, you know the, main, like, the main ones, the, the, let's the, be honest. The yeah. <laughs> in the, when you say the new Avengers are War Machine, Vision, uh, Falcon, and uh, Scarlet Witch. And then you go, and also Cap and, and, um, and Black Widow. I guess Hawkeye's still, I don't know what the fuck he's doing now. <laughs> we'll talk about that now next episode. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I, no, I thought it was a great lineup. I, I yeah. was really pleased with that. Re- really looking forward to Infinity War. So Marvel are doing really interesting things in films and comic books, and DC are just yeah. fucking up on both fronts. They are, but again, it goes back to my point, which is they're taking risks. They're fucking it up and they're yeah, failing. But Marvel but are also taking, taking risks. risks, and the thing is, Marvel's risks are panning out and being awesome, yes. and DC's risks are well. So I don't know how multi year failures. Yeah, I'm not how, sure how much of it's being put down to luck, really, but. It's weird with comics, isn't it? Like, because this—they're so broad, it's so ever-changing. You can't ever get like a I, a, a good hold on what's actually going on at one point all the time, yeah. as you read all of them. But this is entirely unrelated to Interstellar, and what we're doing is we're veering off and just having a conversation. Um, I think <laughs> you know how this episode should end, Simon. Is you should edit this so that the episode ends with us just slowly trailing off, like fading into quiet, like the end of a like a like a play out on a song. If I was just talking more and more about Marvel and shit. <laughs> and you see another inconsequential thing that's because none of this matters. And then, and then Ultron will just slowly fade in. <laughs> that's not a terrible idea. But um, I, I suspect we should wrap it up. Stage one. <laughs> I suspect we should wrap it up like this. By saying, right. you have been listening to World 1 Stage 1. I have been Simon. I have been a pale blue dot. And I have been educated. Goodbye. Bye. See ya.